0: Hello and welcome into the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you after your first full weekend of college
1: football? I feel great. It's awesome to be back. I know know, some of the games were exciting. Some were kind of blowouts, but overall, great weekend of college football. Oklahoma State played. They got the victory. We'll We'll obviously get... Well into detail on that and preview next week. But all that being said, I'm just happy football is back. What about you, Cade?
0: Yeah, I mean, Duke-Clemson, the way that game ended last night, uh, just a great underdog game at home was a great top two. What was an awesome weekend in college football with Colorado doing what they did. Oklahoma State getting the win and just an all-around great weekend. So it was awesome. I was sorry to see about your LSU Tigers Sorry about that. Have to call that out. But Florida State, man, they looked really good. So it was a great weekend. Hope you had a great Labor Day holiday. I know I did. I'll apologize in advance. My voice up until 12 hours ago was legitimately gone. So uh, if you hear me you know, crack at any point. Just just throw me a bone if you don't mind. It was a uh, it was a long weekend on the tail end of a brutal sinus infection. So uh, we're we're good here now, though. So, Dustin, I appreciate your uh, understanding in that regard.
1: Yeah, no worries at all. I, I think, you know, with the little kids and everything, we're just going to be sick for a yeah. little while at the start of football season every yeah. year with kids back in school and everything. So apologies from my end as well. I think my voice is Completely back, still a little nasally, always a little annoying, but we're here and we're ready. Yes,
0: yes, 100%. Well, we appreciate you all bearing with us as we do this. Um, Before we get into the podcast, though, we wanted to take a quick break and just tell you and remind you that this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company. Charlie Hustle is a vintage-inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best dressed fan of the season, so be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. With over 30 schools to choose from, including Oklahoma State, they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs. Shop today at www.charliehustle.com, and when you do, use our promo code 101215, which is good for 15% off all non-sale items. And Dustin, I don't know if you checked this out, posted it on the Instagram story, but they had a 30% off sale on every Oklahoma state item. So you didn't even need our promo code. So if you're not already, (laughs) you need to be checking out Charlie hustle. They have some great stuff. And I mean that like totally impartially I've, I've, I mentioned last week, I'm a fan anyway, but they do a great job.
1: Yeah. And you've got time to order something now, get it in before the next home game. That's right. So great call Arizona state this weekend. And you'll order this week order late this week and you should have it in time for the South Alabama game. And they, like you said, they have a lot of good stuff on there. I I need to grab myself a t-shirt. I have that cursive Cowboys jacket, but I can't wear that until it gets a little bit cooler.
0: Yeah, I, uh, they have a bunch of really good stuff. There's one in particular that, uh, is jumping out at me. It's a, it's a retro with a kind of throwback helmet on it. I'm a sucker for a throwback Oklahoma State helmet shirt, though. Like, there's no no secret in that regard. So, no, Charlie Hustle does a great job and uh, really thankful that they're partnering with us this football season. So, Dustin, I mean, a lot to get into before we get into Central Arkansas and what happened there and, and you know, getting into Arizona State. I think we've got a couple of quick notes to go over uh, from this week.
1: Yeah, so just kind of on the game, 27-13, Oklahoma State. A couple of notes that OSU Media put out that I thought were interesting. Oklahoma State's won 28 consecutive home openers. This is the longest streak in school history. Only Florida has a longer active streak among all FBS teams. OSU's win made it nine consecutive wins in season openers, the sixth longest active streak in the nation. I just thought both of those stats kind of jumped out at me that they're (laughs) top six in the current streak, and then second in the home opener streak with 28 consecutive home opener victories. I know you're normally playing a team like a Central Arkansas, but still pretty impressive nonetheless.
0: I mean, I I would not have considered that as possible, but um, it's been a long time. I mean, obviously, i i I didn't recognize it, but I knew it had been a long time. So, yeah, that jumps out.
1: Eleven cowboys appeared in their first game for Oklahoma State. Eleven—that's quite a bit in a game that was not a blowout.
0: Yeah, that you would like that to be higher, I would think. In, in a perfect world, you would have liked that to be a little higher, I would think. Yeah,
1: you would have liked it to be like fifty. Right, and the, the score be sixty-three <laughs> to three. Yeah, but in a game that ended a two-score game, eleven cowboys. That's appear. still it, a lot. That would be the same as almost the same as like, say you play Iowa state first game and it ends, you know, 27, 13, that kind of would jump out at you 11. Yeah. That's a great way to put that first time Cowboys in a game, like in a, in a, basically a close game, even though it wasn't really that close the entire time.
0: Yeah. That's a really good way to put it. And not that, you know, 50 is the number you're shooting for, but in a tight game like that, yeah, that's um it does crystallize too, for me, like, there were guys. I knew the roster. I knew the numbers, but people around me, who's that? Who's that? Who's that? I mean, it's just the transfer portal era in college football. And there's some youth out there. I mean, DJ McKinney, I'll I'll circle him as somebody who, you know, unless you listen to this podcast, you may not have known about DJ McKinney. And I, I don't mean that to throw anybody else under the bus, but that's not a guy that you would know if you were just a casual fan walking in the stadium for the first time. And there were a bunch like
1: that, so yeah. And then the last one I had, Cade Oklahoma State blocked the field goal and the extra point. They have thirty-two blocks on kicks since twenty thirteen. That's the second most in the nation out of anybody. It does seem like they do it a lot. And I, I called the
0: first one for the record. I to to my brother, I said they're going <laughs> to block this, and they did because it seems like they have a knack for that.
1: Well. Walter Scheid said, you know, when they lined up for the extra point, he was like, they didn't change the blocking scheme from the field goal. And so we just had an open running lane again.
0: Yeah. The announcer made a comment that whoever was on the edge, I can't remember his name for Central Arkansas, chose to not block anybody. And it it would appear that Cody Walter Scheid and Corey Black noticed the exact same thing.
1: Yeah, exactly. But that, that was all the kind of just general notes we had. Wanted to get to injury report as well. Kid, I asked, and we discussed this multiple times in the offseason, Kale Kavanis. He wasn't getting talked about. We knew Oklahoma State had a lot of wide receivers, but this is a guy who appeared on the depth, are them too deep last year at times. They gave him the scholarship. We had heard he was injured and then never really heard anything else. Robert Allen confirmed on the radio that Kill Cabinus is out for an extended period of time, could be back later this season that hurts your receiver depth a little bit when you've already lost a guy like Arlen Bruce and cabinets is a guy that can play inside and outside, not a huge blow immediately, but another blow kind of to that wide receiver depth. Just wanted to bring that up because it was something we got confirmed after talking about it on previous podcasts.
0: Immediately is exactly what I was thinking. That's the key word. Like you're good now, but if this is another injury laden season, you know, there, there are problems, around you if if that happens so yeah I saw unfortunately saw him in a sling walking up the sideline so we'll see what happens with him but I don't expect
1: him back anytime soon yeah another one that was kind of not an in-game injury Jake Henry similar to Ricky Lollahia he's a walk-on offensive lineman Jake Henry who actually I think you know was a little bit kind of in the mix on the two deep last year with all the injuries He is actually off the team. He left the squad during fall camp. I don't think it was disciplinary related at all. He's just no longer on the team. You see that sometimes with walk-ons after, you know, just get kind of burnt out if they're not on scholarship, things of that nature. But wish Jake all the best. Does I don't think it's a big blow to offensive lineman depth this year, but I just kind of wanted to call that out.
0: Yeah, no, thanks for that, Dustin.
1: Next, we've got Preston Wilson who was suspended for the first game. Mike Gundy said in his media availability that Preston will be traveling to Arizona, but he did not confirm if he will play in the game. And on the most recent depth chart that was released by Oklahoma state, the only change from week one is an or at guard between Preston Wilson and Taylor Matirko. We've heard kind of what we think happened there don't want to speculate though, since it hasn't been reported. I know sometimes we do speculate on things, but since this one is of a suspension of a current player that's still yeah. in the team nature, we'll probably stay away from it.
0: Yeah, uh, definitely agree with you on that. We are sometimes we break recruiting news, but we stay out of the "here's why somebody was suspended" news breaking uh, arena. That's for that's for Marshall over at PFB. Yes,
1: <laughs> and then and then some. News and notes on guys that left during the game. Jake Springfield left after 20 snaps. Right tackle, Jake Springfield. Minor ankle injury. My understanding is he should be back this week. If not, it it would be the next week or the next. It's not a long-term injury. It sounds like he could have gone back in this game if needed as well. Something he could have played through. Justin Wright left the game with a knee injury that initially, it sounds like Coach Gundy and the staff and the training staff thought was season-ending. But it sounds like now he's shooting to be back by the K-State game and could possibly be back for Iowa State. Which is a big deal. I mean, th- that's a
0: thin position group. We've talked about this. And Justin Wright bringing his years of experience that he has at Tulsa with him, that's that's not a small one for me. I mean, Jake Springfield, it felt like you had some depth right behind him in Dalton Cooper. This is not one of those situations. Um, it, it's a problem. You need him back as
1: quickly as possible. Yeah, I completely agree. Anthony Goodlow left the game with injury and didn't return later in the game. It was kind of a later-in-the-game injury as Wrights and Springfields were a little bit earlier. I haven't heard an update on him, but normally when you don't hear an update, it probably means like kind of with Springfield, like he could have come back in. right? And then the last one, Cam Smith. You talked about DJ McKinney earlier. Cam Smith started at the right cornerback spot, played eight snaps, the play he left the game on, it didn't look like he was injured. It He didn't make a bad play or anything. And the rest of the game, he was on the sideline holding his helmet, looking not ready to go back in. I haven't heard if he got injured. It wasn't on any in injury report post-game mm. or anything I've heard from Robert Allen. But that seems to me like he tweaked something and they were worried about putting him back in. Because, you know, Smith rotated in. And right. I just think if... If Cam wasn't hurt, you would have rotated him back in at some point since he started. Yeah, I
0: I would definitely think so, especially considering they did that at every other position group, and it's not like you're loaded beyond your wildest imagination at corner. So I agree with you.
1: Yeah, and Kate, that's it I have on the injury report. Pretty healthy, all things considered, with the amount of guys that you had to play. I mean, and, and just, you know, with it being kind of a... Not a blowout. I think they remained pretty healthy and I think should be good to go going into Arizona State. Mike Gundy, Casey Dunn, Coach Nardo, several players met with the media. We'll hit some highlights from some of those. Not going to cover everything that was said. Kate, from Gundy's media session, though, he gave a bunch of credit to the UCA coaching staff talking about UCA might have outcoached them. I think it was a little weird kind of for him to say that to me because he admitted going into the game that they were going to be vanilla so it was almost like obviously uca was probably going to scheme up a lot more stuff than oklahoma state was so x's and o's wise i think that they kind of started at a disadvantage but he may also be talking about you know some adjustments that were made and things of that nature but I liked, I liked what UCA was doing. They found what was working, and they literally just went to it over and over again. And Oklahoma State had some issues stopping a few of those things, which we'll get to later. But I thought it was kind of an interesting comment from Gundy. I, I thought it was interesting for the same reasons you
0: listed. And you know, I, I know we'll get to this later in the breakdown, but... When Mike Gundy was talking about, he answered a question. I can't remember who it was from about that throw out into the right flat that was killing Oklahoma State. They just kept going back to it, back to it, back to it, and asked him, you know, can you, can you, do you have anything to stop that? And he was very coy about it. He's like, yes, we have things that can stop that. Yes. And it made me wonder if they just didn't want to show that or if they couldn't stop it but they now know how to, that's the only way I would think that you got out coached is if you didn't know how to stop that in the game, but now you do. And I, I don't know. I thought it was an interesting comment for the exact same reason you do, but I don't know why he said it because I don't necessarily yeah. agree with it,
1: but I get it. Yeah. And, and, you know, kind of on top of that and backing off what you said about adjustments, Mike Gundy said that they're concerned. They've got to be better. They need a practice and they got to identify who we are and try to move in that direction. Talking about the run game too. He said, it didn't look like we had any holes anywhere to run. He kind of followed that up right after went to a couple, couple different things late in the game, which we'll get, which Kate and I'll get to later. And they found some, you know, found some holes, found some space. And then he mentioned again, how vanilla they were in this game on both sides of the ball, so those were kind of the interesting takeaways I had. His radio show kind of hit on the same thing, just in a little bit more detail. Nothing super notable, Cade, unless I'm missing anything other than the things we just went over. But it's it's gonna be. I think Gundy's kind of gonna kind of be doing some of the coach speak, kind of bouncing around until they figure out what they're gonna do at quarterback.
0: And I think I agree with the comment about we need to find an identity and stick with it that was something that was bothering me was you know all offseason you talk about moving to a gap scheme you talk about you know some play action going under center and you see hardly any of it I totally understand keeping your cards close to the vest the other part of me is like okay well if you're making these drastic changes would it not be best to get some game reps where somebody's trying to knock your head off while you're running that. I it's just a philosophy thing. And I don't know if there's a right answer to it, but it is a philosophy thing and Mike Gundy's philosophy is they're going to hold it close to the vest because there's no arguing that they did not, you know, that they did run their entire playbook. They did not. They they absolutely held things close to the vest. And so, yeah, I, I it sticks out at me for those reasons.
1: Yeah. And Kate, I think, you know, we can probably get into the other media stuff while we're going through the review just to kind of not, you know, we haven't even talked about any stats or anything like that yet. So if we want to kind of get into that with some of these media quotes, we can sure. obviously sprinkle them in some of the stuff done said and things of that nature. But like we said, 27 13 Oklahoma state victory on Saturday against central Arkansas Kid, what were kind of your initial thoughts? If you want to start on the offensive side of the ball, what I know you talked a little bit about the scheme and the the gap scheme that we didn't yeah. really see a lot of. What were your kind of general thoughts on this game? You know, 453 total yards of offense. They threw it 48 times, rushed the ball 31 times, two of those being kneel downs, one being a sack. So kind of some of the general stats and just kind of wanted to get your initial thoughts on this game.
0: So. I'll give my just kind of overarching. I was disappointed in the way the offense looked. I think most people at that game watching it were disappointed with maybe the outcome. The play-by-play way they looked is one thing, but the outcome I think would disappoint. Some, I mean, you and I, Dustin, we had forty-four points and forty-eight points. Uh, both both of us did. So sure, like yes, it's disappointing to have scored less than that. Um, I think though that Oklahoma State's issues are almost, you know, more than half of them are just related to the way they approach this game as a glorified scrimmage. This is a chance for Oklahoma State to break the rust off, not show too much, not get guys injured. And so for me on the offensive side of the ball, we'll just stick there. I wanted to see more of the new stuff because I'm selfish and I was really excited to see that, but I get why they didn't. And I was additionally in the things that we have seen from the offensive line, like a lot of zone running, I was disappointed that they didn't execute on that better. There were some tight end issues in the blocking scheme that I really think may have like you lump in that tight end and the lack of ability to block there with the offensive line as a whole, when, there are a lot of plays where it was, it was one guy. You're one block away from this entire thing being blocked up, and they struggled with that. And the last thing I'll say, Dustin, I think the quarterbacks, I, I don't envy Mike Gundy in this regard. I texted you this, and I still believe this. I believe him that this is a difficult thing, and I understand why he went in and said, we're splitting this game up into thirds because as I watched that game, I could totally see how that was the judgment at these are three guys that are close together. But if you asked me today, I think Garrett Rangel gives you more. I know we'll break down all the quarterbacks here in a little bit, but it's very early. And I don't envy Mike Gundy because this right now is still an impossible selection.
1: Yeah, I I think it's, I think those are great takeaways and, and you talked about the scheme so we can dive into that and then we'll go position group by position group. 23 guys played. I I actually thought it might've been a little more because of what Gundy kept saying, you know, that they were going to play more guys than they've ever played before. So I actually thought maybe a little bit more than 23 guys were going to play. You had four of the offensive linemen in Jason Brooks, Cole Birmingham, Joe Mahalski and Taylor Materko play every single snap. Right. Now, I think you were probably going to see Cooper and Birmingham rotate at left tackle before Springfield got hurt. He only played 20 snaps, but, but still, you know, you didn't see anybody else. You saw those guys. You didn't have Preston Wilson. So maybe it's a rotation of seven kind of what we talked about seven or eight, but that's all things being considered. When I saw that at the end of the game, it kind of shocked me. And then, you know, I, I thought about the Springfield and Wilson news, And what you mentioned about none of the – I didn't – aside from the kneel-downs, I didn't have a single play tracked, charted as under center. Every single play was shotgun or pistol formation, aside from those kneel-downs at the end of the game. Very little gap scheme. 21 runs from the running backs, 21 carries for the three running backs. Only five of those were not a zone variation or ISO duo, something of that nature. It was almost like, you know, we were talking to Adam Lunn about this off off pod. Either – there's two there's two things because we got a lot of questions and a lot of messages, a lot of Twitter questions about this during the game and when we sent out our questions tweet. So, is Oklahoma State just the exact same offense from right. last year? Why didn't we see anything? Why didn't we see any under center? There, there's two things, and Adam pointed this out. Either – Either they completely bailed on everything I-, I physically saw with my own eyes at practice. <laughs> we heard from extreme camp and that they've been practicing all off season or they went so vanilla to not show anything at all so that they can, you know, show some stuff against Arizona state and show even more or some different stuff based on scheme wise against South Alabama, because those teams have no film on Coach Nardo with this with these players. Kenny Dillingham talked about that for Arizona State and his media presser this week. They literally have no film because of how vanilla they were. And I think that's what they were trying to do, Kate. I mean, correct me nope. if you think I'm wrong on that. They I played, have no
0: reason to. I think you're dead on.
1: Yeah, they they went tempo and turbo almost the whole game. 79 plays. That was 17 most in the entire weekend in the country. 79 plays on offense yeah. for a lot of plays. We were thinking like 65 to 70, especially when they average, you know, around 70 last year, 72-ish, and you're thinking knock six or seven plays off based on some of the metrics you've seen recently. And then they increase that to 79. 84% of the plays with no pre-snap motion. I talked wow. about how at practice they moved the tight end and fullback almost every single play and had Presley in motion a lot. They barely did any motion at all. I, I even gave them, in the benefit of the doubt, a couple of those motions I counted, I think the quarterbacks were just moving the tight end because he was in the wrong spot, or moving the fullback because he was in the wrong spot when they're going turbo. So only three, only three attempts, 20-plus yards down the field passing, and they completed two of them.
0: I was going to say both so, were really good throws.
1: Yeah, they could have gone back to that easily if they wanted to now uca was running a lot of quarters they were yep. doing some cover six which is cover four to one side quarters to one side cover two to the other side with the corner in the flat so they were trying to keep things in front of them but still you, you know only three attempts and they went heavy 11p 27 17 10 personnel 10 percent 20 3 percent 21 and 30 uh, personnel was 2% of the time, 48 pass plays to 31 rush. You and I thought they were going to rush the ball a million times.
0: Yeah. hundred percent. So, and I don't blame them for not. So
1: yeah, threw it a ton on first down, which was surprising to me. 58% pass on for on first down plays. Wow. They were, they were pretty good on third down 40%. They were mixing up the snap count, you know, with the clap, you saw the snap come a little bit after the clap caused UCA to jump off a couple times but that's kind of a, not getting into run or pass specifically just yet. Cause I want to throw it back to you. What stands out to you from those general kind of stats and metrics on the scheme?
0: Well, the heavy emphasis on zone and tempo and in the shotgun sounds like last year, it sounds like almost exactly what they did last year with a little more 12 personnel. That's what that sounds like to me, which Leads me to believe that there's a lot more under the hood. And as you were talking, I was just sitting here thinking like, if that's true, and this is a theory, (laughs) it's a theory and you're running an offense that you haven't necessarily been practicing day in and day out. You've been working on other stuff. The game plan is somewhat abnormal. I could totally see how you would walk out and underwhelm. And, you know, as I looked at it, there were really four drives that were stalled like in prime scoring position because of mistakes, like the drops were a killer. There was a uh, fourth and two that was a third and two that they couldn't convert that led to zero points. Um, Blaine green drops one in the middle of the field. That might be a touchdown on that play. So I, I feel like if some of those things don't happen, it's, you know, 38 to 13 and nobody's really all that worried about the offense, I get it. It wasn't what you wanted to see. It wasn't perfect. But at the end of the day, if they're running something, that's not really what they've been working on all off season. I would expect it to be somewhat sloppy.
1: And I think Cade, if the running game would have worked early, I don't think we would have seen any. Counter. I think you're dead on. I think the game plan was zone run scheme, bully them up front, which ended up not working. Kind of use some base passing route concepts and then go tempo because against an fcs team we talked about it last week in the preview pod if you can get their first string tired and you have to get them to their second or third guys on those plays you have an advantage because these are second and third team guys on an fcs team right which is a division below where you're at technically there'd be uh, and and, you know some of these fcs teams could beat fbs teams but you know 131 teams better than this team, right? <laughs> yes. You know, so I think that was the game plan makes sense on paper. It just didn't end up working out and, you know, just kind of focusing on the run. And then we'll talk a little bit about the pass. and then we can get into the position groups. We mentioned 76% zone on running back carries in the counter scheme. All they did on running back carries was GH counter or GY counter. That's when the backside guard and tight end who's normally you can run it with inline tight end or run it with the H back. They mainly run it with the H back. I think there was one with the inline tight end. They pull around in lead block for the running back while the rest of the O linemen block down or away from the play side and just kind of seal those guys off. So one of the best block plays of the day on the Collins touchdown run. Absolutely, I, You and I Cade m- might've been able to score on that. <laughs> there was a huge hole Collins hit it he broke a tackle at the end very impressive all around and then there was a dart read but the quarterback kept it Rangel kept it because Walker crashed in on the mesh dart is when the backside tackle pulls by himself kind of similar explanation is that GH counter just with the tackle pulling they were trying to cut block Walker for A&M who we talked about a lot the bandit, their defensive end, Cole Birmingham was trying to cut block him a lot early. And he would basically just dodge the cut block and make the tackle on the outside zone play from the backside. So they they started to put the tight end over there and kind of help seal him off. That's what led to some of those open cut back lanes in the second half, which Ollie Gordon alluded to in his media session. And they even late in the game mixed in some split zone and some ISO, which is what I talked about. Where kind of the fullback, it's the zone run block with the fullback kind of lead blocks and tries to take out a linebacker. All that, all that negative being said, all that vanilla being sprinkled all over the scheme. You end the game with five point three yards per carry from the running backs. I know it's on only twenty one carries, but it it just it's so crazy to watch how that the entirety of that game and then see that stat at the end.
0: I think so 100% because when you and I were talking about it, it blew my mind a little bit and I was thankful that I hadn't yet rewatched it because now I knew, okay, I can go back and rewatch it through that lens. And my takeaway was the first two and a half quarters were pretty abysmal. I mean, they they could not do a whole lot. It looked like a carbon copy of last year. I felt a little silly. And then they come out, make some adjustments and start opening up some holes against some of those you know, reserve players on central Arkansas, and it looks a lot better. I think Mike Gundy would take 5.3 yards per carry against just about anybody in the big 12. Um, it's the way they arrive to that number for me. And I love that you segment out, you know, running backs versus quarterbacks, because, you know, Gunner Gundy's ability with his legs jacks that up a little bit. So I, I love the way you break this down.
1: Yeah, agreed. Uh, or not about you loving the way I break it down, <laughs> but about Gunner gun. That's the right way, Dustin. Just own it. Uh, but C- Coach Dunn, Cade, you know, just moving into the passing game, and we talked about going turbo and a lot of these kind of, especially when Bowman was in there, it was a lot of quick kind of Bowman yep. knowing where the opening was and getting the ball out quick. Coach Dunn said after the game, kind of going back to our, our kind of thought on what the game plan was, he mentioned it's hard to go turbo under center. They wanted to go fast in this game and tire UCA out and get to their backups in the passing game. And shout out to our guy, Adam Lunt. I'm hoping he's able to do it all season. He doesn't get too busy because he's kind of on top of our Twitter thread, adding in some of his own notes. And we really appreciate that from him because he's much smarter than me. And, you know, I think Cade's probably about as smart as him in general. By default, me as well. (laughs) So... One thing he pointed out, and what I wanted to talk about route concepts-wise, they ran about five route concepts in this game that were kind of your field read, throw the fade ball, or field read, throw the hitch, field read, throw the out. Outside of that true drop-back pass, I think there was five different route concepts they ran, maybe four. The one that they ran, literally, Adam showed it. I think he had like nine videos of it. It was... 10 personnel, the H receiver was running a crosser over the middle of the field. The X was running a corner. The Z was running a dig, so an in route back behind the crosser. And then the slot to the X side, which is normally Brendan Presley, was running an out route. They ran that concept, I think, seven, eight, nine times. Yeah, that's... Again, Adams,
0: he's put a couple things out on this on Twitter. There were multiple situations where even the same concept, same play was called on the same drive, like within, you know, three or four plays of each other. Not so, even
1: flipping the formation. No,
0: just the exact same look. So it's like when you factor all this in together, it's like, yeah, I, OK, this was pretty vanilla.
1: Outside of that, there were double slants, which we saw multiple times, which is a three-yard kind of in route. It's almost like a mini post, if you know what that is. So the double slants, they had the hitch and the out concept, which we've seen a lot, or or it's a you know an out and a fade, which Oklahoma State ran a bunch last year. They had a GT counter rollout. That's a play we'll talk about. You and I talked about that with Rangel. Wesley was open in the middle, but it would have been a really tough throw for him to get back to that. They did that a couple times. And then some vertical, four verts with the running back kind of popping out into the middle of the field as your check down kind of clear out. One time I think the running back was the read on that when it was like third and 21 or whatever and they hit Nixon. And that was really it, Cade. You know, outside of those kind of quick RPO things that I was talking about, the pre-snap, on the post-snap RPOs, I believe that GT counter rollout is a post-snap RPO. Outside of that, I think I had 42 of the 48 attempts with no true play action. And I wasn't counting if Cunner or Rangel kind of dipped the ball down to the side but didn't even really attempt you know, to, to fake the handoff or anything right. like that. And the line's just purely blocking pass. That, I don't know if I've ever even seen that from an Oklahoma State team. You know, they're always... Even the Mason Rudolph teams had RPO going on, so there was some kind of mesh, some kind of running back fake. This was so vanilla. 88% of the plays had no play action or RPO, post-snap RPO action.
0: What's the benefit in the game plan to doing that and removing all of that? What What's the benefit?
1: I, it's almost impossible to get the passing game truly going and, mm. and, and in turn to get the run game going because – if you if you're running the football even decently well, which even late late in the game, you know in the third into the third quarter they start running the ball well, you could have thrown some play action in there and probably hit a huge deep ball, and they they still didn't really go to it. So I think there's a lot of stuff in the bag as far as especially with Rangel and Gunner, there's a lot of things you can do even quarterback RPO where the where it's pass or the quarterback keeps it himself. And even with Bowman, you can do RPO. He doesn't have to run it. It could be running back RPO. So I, I was shocked by that because I, I think showing the play action wouldn't have really been tipping your hand in any way. Because really, you're setting the play action should look exactly like your run plays. That's kind of just what be kind I'm of interchanging them in and out. No, I get not showing any RPO, but the the play action kind of threw me.
0: Yeah, that's where my line of questioning is a little bit. Is you know how vanilla is so vanilla to where it's like, okay, it seems a little bit like paranoid. And, you know, again, this is all philosophy. This is just the way a coach approaches a game and you just have to live with it as a fan. But, you know, to me, I, I would have welcomed seeing some of that as opposed to some stuff that you may only see sprinkled into a game plan in the future. And so, you know, it's it's just I could see the argument where it's hard to build some continuity when you're flip-flopping your identity based on your, not even really your opponent, but more your your situation. This is a situational, you know, change. So it's it's just interesting. And, uh, you know, as the dust has settled for me, it's like I just am ready to see Arizona State because I don't think you're going to win that game with an approach the way that they took it against Central Arkansas.
1: Yeah, and Katie, the offense is a little bit different because of the quarterback situation. We were able to take some stuff away there. We are able to see some running backs that we haven't seen, some receivers that we haven't seen. But the defense with not as many truly new, new guys, like some guys that haven't played a ton, but guys we've seen on the field before for Oklahoma State, when we get to the defense, if you and I weren't doing a podcast, I would have crumbled up my notes and thrown them away. (laughs) I love it. <laughs> this is like nothing you could take. We'll get into that more, but all right, Kate okay, let's move on to position groups, unless you have anything else on scheme or general thoughts. No, no, I don't think so. Okay. Offensive line. I talked about Cole, Joe Maholski, Jason Brooks, Taylor Materico playing every snap. Springfield played 20 and then got hurt. We saw Dalton Cooper, the Texas state transfer who, you know, kid before the season, the line that got thrown out there was almost what I was kind of not calling for, but I was predicting as the one line until we kind of got a little bit further and heard that Springfield was for sure going to start. It would have been Cole at left tackle, tackle Jason Brooks at left guard, Maholski at center, Preston Wilson instead of Maturko at right guard, and then Dalton Cooper at right tackle. So it was great to kind of see that. It sucks that it had to be because Springfield got hurt. I thought just to hit on him really quick since he only played 20 snaps – Still, the physicality you know, is not always there with him. He's very technically sound, still gets blown backwards off the ball. I saw him have one kind of miss MA in pass pro. I thought he looked okay as a run blocker, but just not very physically imposing. And when Cooper came in there, we'll talk about his pass pro when we get to him, but I thought he looked much better as a run blocker. So I that was just kind of it, – it's just kind of tough to see that – Springfield's obviously a good offensive lineman. I just think the physicality is lacking, especially when you see him get, getting blown back even against an FCS team. And in a,
0: a gap scheme, you can't really not have a physical offensive lineman at that spot if you're going to try to pull anything left. You know what I mean? Like you've got to have somebody that's not afraid to go downhill and, and and hit somebody. And so to see Dalton Cooper as the more physical run blocker, I think probably fits with your long-term ambitions for this
1: season. Yeah. We talked about two Cade. Two of the things we said, you know, you can't take a ton from an FCS game, but two of the things we talked about were how talented UCA's defensive ends are and what we wanted to see against the offensive tackles for Oklahoma state and how UCA likes to stunt and twist on their pass rush. The early stunning and twisting the interior of the offensive line for Oklahoma state was really struggling. Cole Birmingham talked about it in his media session that him and Jason Brooks, it's their first time playing in a game on the same side of the line together. You could, I, I noted several miscommunications there. A couple of times where they completely left a guy unblocked, and the running back wasn't to that side to really help. You saw Materko and Maholski struggle passing guys off between each other. They cleaned it up as the game went on. Materko still kind of struggled. But overall, I thought Walker, Jessup, Golday, Javian Jones, these in defensive linemen, defensive ends for UCA looked really good. And Coach Gundy talked about how Walker is a talented player, but still, I thought they should have looked better, especially in pass
0: pro. I think the things that I can't excuse are the miscommunications. Like, you can accept, I guess, getting beat once or twice or three times or however many times it happened, but for me, it's the – It's the miscommunications. The play you kind of referenced, you're referencing a series of plays. But one of the things I wrote down was, Cole Birmingham and Jason Brooks have got to stop letting guys run past their their side. Like you've got basically Cole Birmingham on a three down going at the nose tackle. It's like, hey guys, you you that stuff is what I can't get over. I can get over getting beat every now and then by somebody, but that's the stuff that I think keeps me up and will keep, you know, Coach Dickey up.
1: Yeah, and kid, I wanted to focus on the run game too as we're going through the, these guys. I, w- I want to talk about pass pro as well, but the first five rushes of the game by running back, so there's 21 on the game, were blocked. At least one person had a bad miss bad missed assignment after that there was a couple sprinkled in but the following 16 rushes I thought were actually blocked okay and then at the end of the game like I mentioned the gh counter stuff like that were blocked pretty well but I think everyone watching that game everyone hyped up for this first Oklahoma State game just probably has those first five rushes seared I mean first run of the game was blocked okay but Taylor Materco doesn't hold his block at all That guy gets off and makes the tackle. There's literally nowhere to run because the backside wasn't open for the cutback. The only hole was through Materko's lane, and the, the defensive end turns him, makes the tackle. The next one, Jason. the next play, Jason Brooks let David Walker kind of blow right by him. He got a hand on him barely, and he flew right by him to the inside. Then McCoy goes unblocked, right at Nixon. Luckily, Jaden Nixon is very fast, so he ran by him. Not really put a move on, he just outran him. But that was one of the miscommunications you were talking about. Brooks and Birmingham both blocked the same guy and let McCoy go free. Then a bad cut block on the backside on the outside zone, which we talked about the cut blocks already from Cole Birmingham. His guy makes the tackle. And then on the fifth rush, Josiah Johnson completely whiffs on his block, gets like a finger on the guy, and that guy makes the tackle. So all five of those plays, except maybe the first one, the missed assignment led directly to the tackle.
0: Yeah, 100%. And I think one of the more concerning things for me, I think it makes Coach Dickey's job a little bit easier, is like right side of the line was very clearly like the one that was, oh, I'm sorry, the left side, left side with um, Brooks and Brooks Birmingham. Brooks and Birmingham that's the side that's struggling. Like, you can very clearly coach with that. But what was interesting to me is even when you would bring, like, a guy like Josiah Johnson in to help shore things up, he would miss his assignment. So the left side, to me, really struggled, especially early yeah. on in this game.
1: Yeah, and just kind of going one by one, Cole Birmingham, we mentioned, I thought he struggled against Walker's speed. I thought overall, and, Kate, th- tell me if you'd think differently, as a run blocker. I think he looked okay. I thought the backside cut blocks weren't working, but that doesn't look like it's his strength. So that might be more of a Casey Dunn, Mike Gundy thing. I would agree they with kind that. Of totally that later. After the first like three times he cut blocked, he didn't do it again on outside zone on that stretch play. The miscommunication between he and Brooks, he mentioned that in his media session. He knows that's something he needs to work on. I think that, you know, he did have one, I think, good cut block that I wrote down. I did have that as a note. I think overall he was okay because I think he did look pretty good in the run game. So I'd probably, you know, oh, we don't have to grade every lineman, but just to talk about Cole Birmingham and his first game back, which again, it's his first game back coming off a major knee injury. He probably shouldn't have played every single snap in this game. I, I hate that he did. I'd probably give him an average grade, like a C, but in pass pro, I think it's a D. And in run blocking, I think it's a B to even it out. It's not like he was a C both ways because there were times where he could not even get a hand on Walker. Right. Well, and
0: and it pops on tape. It's like when you're in this stadium, I texted you this. It's like it's at times difficult to see in real time what's happening, but it's not difficult to see the left line, left side of the line is struggling. And so when you're able to go back and look at it, it's like, yeah, no. There's a lot of miscommunication going on right there. It makes it pretty simple. I, I hope that it's a simple task for Charlie Dickey. The beautiful part about it is you've got two really experienced offensive linemen on that side that you're dealing with. You don't have a redshirt freshman that you're trying to teach these things to. This should be fixable in my mind.
1: Yeah, and the, kind of moving on to staying on the left side, Brooks. I thought he's okay overall. Maybe a little bit better grade than Birmingham. Had a couple issues in pass pro, had the miscommunications, which I know I've said like three times now with Birmingham. But the thing that kind of makes me bump his grade up a little bit, especially on that GH counter touchdown to Collins, he got up to the second level a couple of times and sealed linebackers off later in the game. And Cole Birmingham in his media session mentioned, they got way more aggressive and just, they, they were firing off the ball in the second half and you could tell it mm-hmm. wasn't like they made any true adjustments besides the H back one that I talked about and moving him around on the outside zone. Other than that, I think it was just pure aggressiveness and effort from these guys in the second half wearing down on these UCA guys that they are definitely more talented in and should have been doing from the beginning. You know, Joe Maholsky mentioned it was a slow start in his media session. and It truly was because in the second half, if Jason Brooks would have had a second half run blocking like he did in the first half, or uh, if his first half would have been like his second half, I would have probably given him a close to a B, B plus, A minus grade overall. Yeah, well, no question. And I, to me,
0: Jason Brooks is extremely athletic, and his ability to maneuver up to that second level sets him apart. So having him on that left side is a big deal. I, I really liked it. One thing, and I don't want to get to the center yet, but you mentioned Joe Mahalski, is no, seeing what a Preston, a Preston Wilson would do to shore things up for a Jason Brooks, which helps a Cole Birmingham. Like, it's, it's one thing, but one thing matters on the offensive line. And so I'm very curious to see what happens there.
1: Yeah, Joe Maholsky on him, he mentioned the two bad snaps. He had two high snaps, but I actually think, you know, he had the low one to Bowman on the fourth down. That would have gone – Ollie had a huge hole – to run through. If he gets that snap clean, he ends up having to run, not get the first down. Sorry. It was third down, not get the first down. So I I know he said he had two bad high snaps. I think there was actually like four. There were total on four. the game. Cause there was a couple low. That was something you and I called out. We were thinking more on the under center exchange, but he, we saw him do that at times last year. To his credit though, he had to deal with three different quarterbacks that all have three different voices, three different ways to clap, three different cadences, and I think most of the bad snaps came with Bowman. And, yeah. and, you know, maybe he doesn't have as much familiarity with Bowman. He doesn't. So that well, was of, something that stood out to me.
0: One of them cost Oklahoma State a walk in touchdown run, too. I mean, there was the play in the red zone where he all he has to do is catch it, hand it to Ollie Gordon, and it's blocked. Perfectly. Yeah, that's the one
1: I'm talking about. So, yeah. Well, exactly.
0: So the left side blocks it perfectly. And you've got an issue with the center in that one. So it's like, as I mentioned just a while ago, it felt like a, a series of little errors that really prevented this offense from shining. And I think those are correctable. I think. Yeah.
1: One thing, Cade, too, we haven't really talked about UCA scheme. So something I mentioned. And while we didn't have a very long defensive preview on them, they were a four two five, a true four two five team last year. They brought back their defensive coordinator from 2017 who ran a legit 3-4 with four linebackers on the field. And then they come out in this game and run a 3-3-5, not similar to Brian Nardo's, but a more of a 3-3-5 John Haycock, Iowa State defense with a zero tech nose at times. And Joe Maholski's going up against a nose guard right in his face when I, I don't know... Gundy said after the game, and so did Casey Dunn, they weren't 100% sure what UCA was going to do on defense because they had literally nothing on tape from them since 2017 with this defensive coordinator. (laughs) And I think they were very surprised that they came out in this 3-3-5 and ran a lot of quarters and a lot of cover six. And Joe Maholsky... It, he looked uncomfortable at the beginning of the game with that zero tech nose. He got blown backwards a few times, cleaned it up later on the game, but he was getting pushed off the snap, struggled some in pass pro. talked about the stunts and twists, but towards the end of the game, I thought he was one of the better run blockers.
0: Yeah, I, I think so too. And again, I think towards the end of the game, everybody was blocking better. It seemed like much more of a unit. I don't know if Mahalski leads the charge in that regard, which is it's not what you're saying, but I, I think that the line is a unit they really shined and I, it kind of leads back to some of the things I've been saying after the game, like Gunner Gundy benefited from an offensive line. That's doing a little more exotic stuff, but is beating up on a, a worn down UCA defensive front. I mean, they, they were worn down. They finally mix in some of these gap scheme type of runs, not very many, but enough to really confuse UCA. It appeared. So, it's, it was a good showing late in that game from the offensive line, and I think gives me confidence going into Arizona State.
1: Yeah, I agree. Uh, Taylor Moving to the right side, Taylor Materko, he was probably the only guy, and I don't know if this is going to be really a positive thing, but he looked exactly like what I expected from Taylor Materko, maybe to play a little bit better against an FCS team, but conf- – we saw the confusion on the stunts and twists at times last year, whether Wilson or Mahalski was in at center or in the past, just in general throughout his Oklahoma State career. I thought he was average in the run game. Thought he was average in pass pro. Struggled at times. Had some missed assignments. Looked okay as a puller one time, then didn't look good as a puller the other time. So it was just a overall like. You know, I talked about Birmingham was maybe a B in run, D in pass. I think Materko was just a C across the board in every aspect.
0: Not to pick on one guy, but it's it's been that way, like with with him, and it's unfortunate. But he keeps getting put in situations to show that, and it's like Oklahoma State needs depth in front of him because he he's he has been that, and I, I'm not again not to pile on to a guy he's trying his best and playing his butt off but that's just what it's been
1: yeah and then cooper i actually thought he was good in the run game now he didn't play the first 20 snaps so he missed like five or six of the running back carries and i talked about how the first five or six were really bad so cooper came in later i thought he looked good in the run game not great he should have been better against an fcs team even a guy coming from texas state but was his first game. He's probably been practicing a lot at left tackle and he came in and played right tackle. So I thought he was solid as a run blocker, but we already talked about it uh, against the speed of UCA's edges and pass pro. He was not impressive, not no. as many whiffs and just kind of not letting guys kind of, ole by him like Birmingham, but there were still several.
0: And it was interesting to me because there's not a lot of that on his film. Like at Texas no. state, he didn't do that very often. So I I hope that it's you know the adjustment to a new scheme, seeing things in real speed uh, with again somebody trying to knock your head off. I hope that it's that, unless so a poor fit. But it is interesting because I I don't remember seeing that much
1: on his film at all. Yeah, I agree. All right, Cade, I think I think we covered the offensive line. Normally, the first game of the season, we go really in depth on offensive line. So I'm good to move to running backs. If you are, I kind of wanted to end. The offense with quarterbacks, since I know I think that's great. Like yeah. that okay. Running backs, Cade, it was truly running back by committee, not the way you and I thought. I think we thought each guy was going to get more like 10 carries. You had seven carries for Ollie Gordon for 44 yards and a touchdown, eight carries for Elijah Collins for 41 yards and a touchdown, and six carries for Jaden Nixon for 27 yards almost an even split across the board from these guys what was your initial thoughts maybe we could go in any order you want or you can kind of give me who you thought looked the best I I
0: kind of feel about the running backs the way I felt about the quarterbacks like nobody really popped but nobody did anything poorly enough to be like I'm concerned about that I would say that Ollie Gordon is probably your best all-around running back. I think it kind of jives against what I had told you. I left that feeling like Elijah Collins, and I still think he may be your more balanced running back in terms of skill set. I think he's a little niftier in between the tackles, but it's not by a lot compared to Ollie Gordon. But Ollie Gordon, I mean, his ability out of the backfield, once he has the ball, is elite. So the more that you have him back there, the better you're going to be even if you struggle at times to break him into the second level because, Dustin, I don't know if you caught this. I'm just starting with Ollie. I felt like his feet were slow. Like, his feet are a little bit slower in what I think is going to be a better fit for him in a gap scheme, but in a zone scheme, it's a little bit of the Dom Richardson thing where it's like you just got to hit the hole and go. To his benefit, there's not a hole to run through, but for Ollie, he... He doesn't do a lot to create space for himself, but once he has it, he's elite.
1: Yeah, I think it's more for him. I don't know if it's so much bad vision because I think his vision actually might be pretty good when you look at other aspects of his game, like in pass pro and how he's able to kind of find space in the passing game as a checkdown guy, which, you know, he had the drop, but still. I think it's just acceleration because he's a That's 100% back. what I'm saying. Yeah, and and I and I agree with you on that front. So, a couple of things for me where I think Ollie I agree with you. I think Ollie kind of was if you made me pick, I'd probably go Ollie as your RB1 with Collins. I thought looked good. We'll talk about him in a minute and then we'll we'll get to our takes on Nixon, but a couple of things that stood out to me for Ollie. He had the one play called back, the big one. Yep. So, not even counting that one, he had two runs over 10 plus yards. We talked about that was a huge issue last season the 10 plus yard carries. We didn't have any. We never had runs go. It for just 10 never more happened. Uh, <laughs> you had the big Jaden Nixon one, you had the big Ollie Gordon one. The, the fact that you could probably count I, them on two hands for the season is terrible.
0: It's exactly just, what I was thinking. The fact that we can tell you what they were is ridiculous.
1: Because Jalen Warren had so many. And then obviously, you know, speedsters like Chuba Hubbard. Guys that can make you miss like Justice Hill, but he had two runs over ten plus yards on seven attempts. Pretty good. No negative rushes. Both the other backs had negative rushes, and Ollie had some plays that were blocked poorly. The one he hurdled might have been one of the worst block played plays oh, all day. So and bad. He so no negative rushes for Ali, which is great. That's always a positive. You know, Dom Richardson, a guy that you know you and I both didn't think was an elite back, but he was good. In that aspect, according to PFF. So I, I like to say when it's one of their stats, I love PFF, but it was not something I chart. I don't know a hundred percent if it's truly correct on some of these advanced metrics, but he had the most out of all the backs and uh, missed tackles forced. He had the highest PFF grade. Like I said, tied for the longest run with Elijah Collins at 17. There were two times, Cade. One was on the fourth down when Bowman threw the out route to Presley Raiden Cassidy came across in kind of a split zone pass pro, so he's coming from the fullback spot on the other side to block UCA's edge rusher. He completely whiffs, and Ollie saves Alan Bowman's knees, saves his life probably, with a beautiful block. And earlier in the game with the Garrett Rangel pass play, Cole Birmingham whiffs, and Ollie saves him. So twice he saved, saved sacks and maybe even – potentially like injuring the quarterback cuz Bowman's would have been a blindside hit in pass pro i thought Collins you know Collins had a issue in one play in pass pro nixon he tries his best but obviously he's not as big of a guy always pass pro to me if all the other guys did the exact same thing when they ran the ball always pass pro kind of made him stand out to me
0: yeah i it's 100% worth noting too an underrated aspect when we're talking about grading these running backs and what they do. You remember Jalen Warren was fantastic at this. So all the things he did well down the field with the football, he was fantastic at picking up the block and making sure that he put two hands on somebody. Ollie is to me through one game, the best at that. And I wouldn't expect that to change. You wouldn't expect a speedy back like Jaden Nixon or a more balanced all-around back like Elijah Collins being better at that. That's probably where Ollie's going to excel. I mean, the fact is he's like six two two twenty, so you would expect that.
1: Yeah, and then my last on Ollie Cade, the the big run that he had on counter. So his his one counter run that that was good, or hey, he didn't get that many opportunities. Josiah Johnson has his man blocked. But, you know, Josiah was having a little bit of trouble holding onto the blocks, and we'll get to him later. Ollie knew that. This is later in the game. He cuts left to kind of help out Johnson on the block to where Johnson's able to seal the defender because the defender's looking at Ollie and starts going that way. Cuts back off Johnson's butt and bust it up and bust it through that hole, which the hole was already there. Yeah. He could have just hit it, but the defender would probably have gotten a hand on him to slow him down. He set that block up and I don't think we've seen an OSU running back do something like that since Jalen Warren. That's
0: a really good point. The other thing I would say about that run is it gives you a glimpse of what Ollie Gordon is because Once he gets into that second level, he broke three tackles. And, and one of them was a violent broken tackle, like with arms flailing and everything. And so that's what, if this offensive line can be consistently something like that, and a Josiah Johnson can assist in that way, I think that, I think that this season immediately changes and looks different than that. If that's what they can do, because Ollie Gordon getting into that second level is what it's going to take, I think.
1: Yeah, I agree. On Collins, Cade, I, I don't really have a ton on him because I liked what he brought. If Ollie can be a true running back, one, a true, you know, top tier running back, and we've seen flashes, then Collins is going to be one of the best RB2s in the conference. In my 100%. Opinion. I, I think, I don't think he can, I don't think he's a one, an RB1 guy on a, top of the top tier big 12 team but he's a good running back when he had holes like that gh counter one that he scored on he hit it hard he broke a tackle at the end yeah i was joking earlier saying you or i could have scored he ran really well on that and then two of his eight carries were really poorly blocked he had no holes open at all and still tried to gain a few yards so i I thought he was great as an rb two, and i'd like to see him get a lot of carries I don't think it should be let's say you know Nixon let's say Nixon had an injury or something like that I I wouldn't want it to be a 50-50 split but I also don't think it should be 80-20 I think Collins deserves carry yeah
0: I I I totally agree with you and it actually calibrates maybe recalibrates the way I expect this season to go for the running backs I think Jaden Nixon not to get right back to him I'll come back to Elijah Collins but I think Jaden Nixon is very clearly skill set wise, the different one. Elijah Collins does a lot similar to Ollie Gordon. I think the size is similar. Like you could talk me into a two back set with those two guys. Like I would love to see some oh, yeah. sort of, you know, shotgun formation with those two to either side of Garrett Rangel. I think that you could do a lot of good stuff with that. And the defense would have no idea what's coming out of something like that. I think to Jaden Nixon, You pointed out something, not to steal your thunder, but you pointed out something to me that had not occurred to me, and it's his lack of lateral quickness and his ability to wiggle. He's got no wiggle. He's got no wiggle. He's got no wiggle, and he really doesn't, and it's not something that even really jumped out at me, but he's not going to make anybody miss. He's going to run past somebody, but he's not going to make anybody miss, and I think the first two running backs have the ability to make a guy miss.
1: It's something, Cade. When we were hearing in the off season about him kind of maybe taking over as RB one, that I brought up to you on the podcast. Yep, he's not. It's not Elusive. the fact that he's a smaller back. It's just the fact that when we've had these backs of this size, like a Justice Hill, and I know Justice Hill is really good. It's tough to compare him to someone as good as Justice Hill, but he's the most recent comparison I have. Justice Hill had elite. Agility, elite lateral movement. I mean, go Google Justice Hill right now and you'll see a jump cut pass pop up as like the first thing on YouTube. Nixon does not have that. Now, Nixon does give good effort in pass pro, even though he's not super physical. He's shown that he's his hands have gotten a little bit better. He finds open space. I think you could line him up in the slot, which you mentioned in the offseason as something you thought they could do. But if Nixon's your RB1, I think you're going to struggle. And I think he kind of found that out a little bit in this game just from seeing his runs. Not that he played bad. I think he's a good running back. I just think I would rather give the bulk of the carries to Collins and Gordon.
0: Yeah, 100% agree. Not to take you to left field, but Minnesota played on Thursday night featuring Sean Tyler the running back who is committed to Oklahoma state from Western Michigan, who I think was what they want Jaden Nixon to be. He's got wiggle. Jaden Nixon doesn't have wiggle.
1: Yeah. And he's got decent vision. You know, all these running backs, I think you couldn't glean a lot from this game in terms of vision because there weren't a ton of holes. So it's, it's really just that lateral agility and maybe we'll see it pop at some point this year, but you know, the play where I was talking about where he ran by the guy that wasn't blocked, He could have kind of made a lateral move there and got completely out of the guy's way. But he almost, he just stopped and then started again. And that stop-start kind of caused the defender to hesitate. And Nixon's acceleration is way better than a 6'2", 270-pound, guys. 100%. 100%. So, All right, Cade, wide receivers. Brennan Presley, still really good. Six catches for 54 yards and a touchdown. 11 targets. Casey Dunn talked about after they they need to even target him more. He got the carry, which is something we had heard from extreme camp and didn't mention on the podcast, but we, because we, we didn't know if they were truly going to use that in a game. And then we see the carry and Kate, he's got wiggle. He's got a lot of wiggle. (laughs) I'm fine handing him the ball off every now and then. I thought he looked great. He had the foot out of bounds. I think he had, you know, I, that maybe was a little bit on Bowman as well. I thought he looked good after the catch. He held on to the football, which you know, we saw him have some issues with that at times last season. I think he deserves the bulk of the targets. I, I love Brandon Stribling as well, who we'll get to, but I don't really Kate, okay, that's kind of it. Brendan Presley's still really good.
0: He deserves the bulk of the targets and he's gonna get them. And I think it's gonna make life easier for a guy like Jean Stribling. Cause defenses had to focus on them. Hey,
1: Dijon Stribling and Jaden Bray. I kind of want to almost talk about them together, if that's okay with you. So we weren't sure who was going to play X, who was going to play Z. Stribling lined up at the Z because the way Oklahoma State has done that in the past is the receiver on the right side is the Z, the left is the X, and then they'll switch them around because the Z is normally one of the number one options on the passing concept. That didn't truly happen. This time, they had a lot of stuff drawn up for the X as well. And what I'm kind of thinking is, it's not really a James Washington slash Tylen Wallace versus a Marcel Aitman. These guys have a lot of similar attributes. They're not that different in size, and they're both very dynamic. So I think they can both kind of be your Z, no matter what side of the formation they're lined up on. Mm. We'll see if this little prediction I have holds true, throughout the season, but I don't know if it's going to be a true XZ split that we've seen in the past. Well, I mean, if you think
0: back to like Tay Martin and Jaden Bray being on opposite sides of the formation, I, I think that's similar to this. Yeah. yeah they've but,
1: done this before.
0: Yeah. I, but not last year, it looked nothing like this last year. So to your point, Dustin, I think it will feel more like that 2021 season because I do think you have two guys that are very similar and it makes a life easier on a quarterback like Garrett Rangel or Alan Bowman or whoever it is, because ultimately they're going to have great options on the perimeter on both sides.
1: Yeah. And these guys combined, Sorry, I didn't give their stats. Bray had five catches for 66 yards on nine targets. Stribling had four catches for 73 yards on five targets. Probably want to see Stribling's targets go up a little bit. They had some receiver rotation, in there in the kind of the middle. And I think he kind of got lost a little bit and it seemed like he had really good chemistry with Rangel. But Cade, the point that I wanted to make, and it's something we talked about going into the season and it's going to back up a a prediction that you had going into the season about this receiver core being better than last year's Jaden. And I know UCA it's UCA. It's an FCS team. I know we shouldn't take a ton away. I had to keep telling myself that when I was writing this note, and they weren't in a ton of man until later in the game. But Jaden Bray and Dejon Stribling can create separation from man coverage. And Braden Johnson and Bryson Green could not.
0: Well, I was literally, before I knew where you were going with this, I was going to say, Dejon Stribling and Jaden Bray both are better receivers than Bryson Green. I mean, it's, I'm sorry. It just is that way. Was amazing. They're, they're better route runners. How, how, when was the last, last season? Did you ever see a wide receiver in front of a cornerback running downfield. Did you ever see that? The answer is no.
1: I can't off the top of my head think of a time when Braden Johnson dipped his hips, chops his, chopped his feet, and came hard out of a break on a route. I think Bryson and and Green Shribling did it eight times each, I think, on Saturday. I think Bryson
0: Green got separation on that deep one against Texas, but that's the only one that pops out to me, and it happened multiple times against UCA. Again, with the caveat, these are FCS athletes. But I think Deshaun Stribling, I mean Jaden Bray, you know, had a critical drop that stalled a drive that puts him back a peg for
1: me, and but, they almost fumble, and you he almost, yeah. It. So he can't do either of those. Jaden Bray can't drop a ball, and he can't have a turnover ever,
0: which puts my point of Deshaun Stribling being the best perimeter receiver they've had after one game. I feel confident saying this since Tay Martin he. he his leaping ability and just his ability after the catch reminds me exactly of that and his route running ability stand out
1: Kate, i literally wrote down kind of reminds me of tay martin a bit
0: 100 yeah, percent. and it's it's i mean it's kind of you know tongue in cheek a little bit they played at the same school on the same team but he really does
1: yeah not completely like body type and things of that nature but Kay Martin, a guy that we both thought was one of the best route runners on the team, a team that had Presley and John Paul Richardson and guys like that on it. Uh, I thought Jaden Bray gave pretty good effort blocking. I thought Stripling is not the best blocker, so that's (laughs) one differentiation. They didn't have a ton of opportunities. You didn't see a ton of wide receiver screens that were thrown. You saw it set up on some of those pre-snap RPO reads. Uh, But overall, Kay, that that was just kind of my takeaway on those two guys. Bray had the miscommunication with Rangel and with Bowman. But both times, Kate, I went back and watched both of these plays a bunch. The DB has inside leverage on the Rangel one. Even though he's off the ball, I kind of get why Bray ran the fade there. But I still probably agree with Rangel, who looked like he was throwing an out because that's another route you would run against inside leverage. So that one almost seemed like Bray might not have known what the two options were. Like he thought it was maybe hitch and fade because mm. hitch, you probably you wouldn't have run there. You would have run the fade. So that was a little confusing. And then the Bowman one was really strange because Bray and the slot, I, I can't remember if it was. They were in the same room, route. Presley, they ran double slants yeah. and Bowman threw an out. And I don't know if there would have been an option on that route. So that one almost seemed like true confusion. I don't know. I think I think the first one you could probably put on Bray, but the second one I'm not a hundred percent sure that was an option route. Even it was almost like they had the wrong play. Well, and I don't know who had it, so I can't. I'm not going to put. I'm not going to say Bray had two miscommunications. Is my point. What's strange to me about
0: that though is, and I I don't disagree with you, but Bowman, you know, how many passes did he throw? Twenty four. The other twenty-three looked like he knew exactly where to go with it. Right when the ball hit his hands, exactly. So I would, I might put the benefit of the doubt in Alan Bowman's direction on that. But it is, it is worth watching. There were multiple miscommunications, as you noted, even in the Twitter thread.
1: Yeah, basically, I would just, you know, I would just tell Jaden Bray I'm disappointed in him, but he wouldn't get grounded. That's what I'm
0: saying. (laughs)
1: You can be better. You can be a lot better. No, but I thought those guys were awesome. Even with the drop, even with the miscommunications, I loved what I saw from those guys. If they can do that against man coverage that Arizona State throws out there, which I'm sure they will, I, I th- I'll i be very, very happy moving forward in the season. The other guys, Green, Owens, and Shetran, I know Green had four targets, three catches. He had the drop. It's hard to really truly give them a full analysis breakdown I guess we could do Blaine Green, but Owens and Shetron almost feel like we have to kind of skip because 14 snaps for Owens and only 16 for Shetron out of you know the 79 total plays. So I I don't I think we can just maybe hit Green and then move on. Even yeah. I think Owens needs to get more snaps. He looked good in his snaps. Shetron had the nice catch. Great to see that from him. Blaine Green Cade. I love Blaine Green. I love him as a cowboy back. He has some trouble creating separation as well, just like his brother. And I know at the H spot, he's not always going to have to do that. He could, you know, especially when they're obviously when they're in zone, he can just kind of find a spot, but man, if he's going to drop the ball and he can't create separation, you know, I don't really want to take Presley off the field. And if you're going to go 10 P I like Owens there.
0: Yeah. I, I like Blaine green's physical tools, like him, alternating in for Brennan Presley like in a perfect world he would be able to get separation and he'd be almost a perfect complement at that spot you could get a little creative in your red zone formations in that situation but the drop Dustin was like the worst part of the day for me outside of you know the opening two quarters on the offensive line the drop was a killer I think it changes the whole dynamic of the game at that point and you would just come in for Brennan Presley so it's like Number one, Brendan Pressley is going to get so many targets if Alan Bowman's your starting quarterback because he already did. But number two, Blaine Green, when he gets those opportunities, has to take them because he's not going to get a ton as Brendan Pressley's kind of reserve man.
1: Right. And I don't want to make yet, you know, kind of a bold statement on Green and after this one game against an FCS team, but just some just something I kind of thought of. Tight ends, Cade okay, Josiah Johnson, he has to be better. As a run blocker, he was it. bad. It, it it was bad. He, it's he, the physicality, the technique, the holding the block. And they're asking a lot of them in that spot, especially on a brand new team, when he's kind of more of your typical pass catching tight end. But if he doesn't improve there, I, I think you play Quentin Stewart. If he doesn't improve there, it won't work. Like he, he, he won't be able
0: to play there. Like, cause I totally agree with you like the offensive line alone wasn't great, but if you go back and you watch, there's really one guy that stands out Is like, oh boy, like that, that's a problem blocking. And it was him. So again, they're asking him to do a ton. I think he does give you something, you know, catching the ball, but yeah, not enough, catches. not enough to offset what he was providing in the run game.
1: Yeah. And Cassidy came in and, you know, he wasn't, he was Okay but not didn't give you a ton blocking as well in his snaps. So those guys need to clean it up, your tight ends and your fullbacks. I know only three of them kind of got out there, but they were probably the most disappointing group for me on offense by far, including the offensive line.
0: I mean, in conclusion, from the running backs to the receivers, to the offensive line, to the tight ends, somebody block somebody. That's that's what we just said.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let's talk QBs. I know we're already gone really long. We got to talk defense. We've got to talk a little Arizona State. Probably aren't going to do very many questions tonight, if any. But let's talk QBs. Cade, my I I kind of just have some quick bullet points on each guy. Do you want to start with in the order they you just want to go in the order they play? Yeah,
0: I think that's great.
1: Okay. Garrett Rangel, 26 plays, 161 yards passing on 50, 10 completions on 15 attempts. Um, uh, sorry, 118 yards passing, 10 completions on 15 attempts, one touchdown. In one interception. When he was out there, the offense had 161 total yards, 6.2 yards per play, 11 run, 15 pass. He was three for six on third down, so 50%. Dude, I like this composure. Yeah. I thought he looked controlled. There were a couple decisions that I thought, just not having the all 22, I thought he maybe made the, a bad decision. I like that he threw the ball away. He maybe leaves the pocket a little too early at times. He had the roll out. His speed always surprises me. The play that I clipped on Twitter where he kind of sur- he moves the DBs with his eyes and comes back and fires the ball to Stribbling with some velocity was beautiful. We talked about the rollout where Presley was open in the middle of the field. That is a tough throw with a defensive yep. end chasing yep. you and a linebacker kind of in your vision. I saw several people note that he missed that throw. I get it, but that's tough. Overall, I think he, I thought they all looked good. But if you made me pick, if I'm Gundy and you say you, you're you only allowed to play one guy next game, I'm probably going with Rangel. And I kind of have to eat my words because I thought, I didn't think Gundy was truly going to do this, this three quarterbacks. I know he probably didn't plan on exactly four series for all of them. A pretty even split on plays as well. I thought Bowman was going to be the guy in that practice I saw Bowman looked like the better guy. Rangel has showed some improvement. I know against an FCS team, but I liked what I saw. only threw one deep ball and hit on it. That's a great percentage there. Beautiful throw, too. I-, I liked what I saw. I liked what I saw. I think
0: the biggest thing for Rangel that concerned me last year was his accuracy. And he didn't really make a throw that I was like, yikes. Like he was a little high on that comebacker, but it was a free play. And I'm not really worried about it in a scenario like that. The touch on the deep ball was the best throw he's made in college. But that that was a that was a power five quarterback throw. That's a throw that Jaden Rashad is going to make this weekend.
1: Yeah, the throw the throw to shribbling too, Cade, the one I'm talking about where he kind of surveyed the field and came back. That's beautiful. He threw that outside because the safety was inside. hundred percent So that's he Put the ball there on purpose. That's a beautiful, beautiful throw. And put it direct, like, it, you know, maybe a little off to the side, but Stribling's got a large wingspan, and he knows that. The chemistry with Stribling, to me, I loved. Because yeah, it's that's clearly probably there. your best receiver, like what we talked about, him or Bray. And they. Lo- I just thought that looked great. He went to Ollie on the checkdowns, which is great to see from a young quarterback. Didn't try to force it. Got the ball out quick on the wider receiver screen, through the TD pass. I liked what I saw. Obviously, the interception. I don't want to throw it, but he got destroyed and had a bull rush straight at him. Cole Birmingham not blocking. Also, kid, okay, the routes on that play. Did you notice that all the receivers were like ten to twelve yards downfield right no, I, I did
0: not notice it. Well, I was what are we doing? Trying on to
1: fourth pick... and two. Yeah.
0: It was a, that's a curious decision. One of the things that jumped out to me about Rangel was his ability to get through his progressions. You noted his decision-making wasn't always perfect. He didn't make a poor decision. I actually thought on the rewatch, he did a better job of getting through his progressions than Alan Bowman did, which was He's surprising. The one that did it. Well, Alan I mean, Bowman, you would have thought, would have been the guy that would be, you know, survey the field, find the open guy. He was not great at it. And he didn't make the right decision on several occasions.
1: Yeah. I think Bowman had opportunities and didn't do it, to your point. So great point there. And then on the other hand, Gunner was mostly, I think, except for one play, was first read and throw. Yeah. 100%. So, Rangel's the only one that I think you could even truly evaluate, which I think
0: <laughs> to me puts him above the other guys. And as you noted, his speed surprises you. I texted you this, like they can run things that they can't with Alan Bowman. And I don't think Gunnar Gundy is going to be your starting quarterback. So that gives you Garrett Rangel to, going right. forward. In my opinion,
1: you call cool to move on to Bowman. Let's go ahead. 13 completions, 24 attempts, 80 yards. The offense as a whole, 29 plays, 87 yards, three yards per play, five run, 24 (laughs) pass plays. So he didn't do, I, I mean, it was so much skewed towards pass for him and a lot of just straight drop back, no play action. Two for seven on third down. He did have the three drops and PFF also has him as one turnover worthy pass the drops coming from green green ray and bray. and then i believe it was ollie third one
0: ollie was the third one
1: yeah i think bowman to kind of your point he looked a little confused at times but other times he looked so certain and made the throw really quickly there was one play in the red zone i think it's one of the ones adam lunt clipped i don't know where he's looking on that play because yeah. the It looked like the scheme was to have a little pick play and get somebody open in the back corner of the end zone, which still would have kind of been a tough throw. Tough throw. But he's looking the opposite way at a guy that's double covered and then an outlet. He didn't even look to the right side of the field, except right at the beginning, like right when the ball was snapped. I did think he was a little inaccurate, but getting the ball out quick was big time. And the other thing, and this was something I called out in my twitter thread on him that i was hoping he had cleaned up he gets funky feet yes
0: if he gets he falls on, he falls back
1: yeah they get they get crazy And that's what he did at tech but that was as a true freshman true sophomore so i thought it was something he was maybe cleaning up a little bit he doesn't have a strong enough arm to make throws doing that and i know a lot of that sounded negative in general Though I loved his command of the offense. He looked very in control. The guys listened to him and getting the ball out quick in that kind of almost felt like true air raid when they were running it with him. I liked that.
0: Well, I mean, he was shoveling the ball to Brennan Presley. I mean, it was a, it was exactly what you and I thought was going to happen between those two in the first game. So it was pretty great. And I am not out on Bowman by any means, actually in the stadium I left that feeling like Bowman did a lot of really good stuff. And on the rewatch, you know, you just see more. You have a chance to back it up and and see what he meant. There was a play on in the red zone where he's going, really not really going through his progressions, and he's waiting, waiting, waiting for Jaden Bray to come back to the ball when all he has to do is look out to the flat where I think it's Josiah Johnson, I can't remember, has leaked out into the flat and his would walk in for a touchdown if he just looks out there, but he never did. That was the one that has the alarm bells going off for me.
1: Yeah. And I think the thing for me with Bowman is I didn't think he looked bad. I think there were some things that looked a little shaky, but it's his first game in three years. True meaningful snaps. Cause he played like 13 snaps total in Michigan and mop up duty. I think you got to give him. I think you got to almost say that and include that in your analysis because it's almost like a true freshman coming out there, hundred percent, like a Brandon Whedon style true freshman, like an older guy because he hasn't played in three years. No question. No question. And I not.
0: I thought, granted, with that, he was a a B. I I would give him a B.
1: Yeah. Moving on to Gunner, he was seven of nine for a hundred and six yards. 22 plays total for him for 209 yards, 9.5 yards per play, 13 running plays, nine pass, one for two on third down, so 50%. My, my first initial thought on Gunner was when he came out there for that first drive when they went three and out. He looked a little nervous. Gundy said as much in his media. All three of those throws were a little off target, even though I know he had some com- completions there, or two of those throws, however many he threw on that drive. They looked a little off target so i almost want to throw that drive out completely but if you do that cade and this is where you know we had multiple people message us and say gunner's kind of the clear number one i thought gunner played really good i thought he looked definitely improved from last year i don't know how you can make that declaration on seven pass attempts if you're going to do the first drive because i don't think you can count that first drive he looked real shaky yeah, I just it's almost like if you throw that in, then it's going to knock him down a little bit. But if you throw it out, you had seven passes to look at.
0: Right. Well, in that case, we should give Alan Bowman the completion of Blaine Green and call it a touchdown.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> like I just I don't really know what to do. The offense looked better. He looked much improved as a kind of play caller and leader. Very calm, definitely not shaky hands like Kansas State, which I hate that so much. That's probably going to be tied to forever. He's a great runner. He's very fast. He's noticeably faster than Rangel and obviously much faster than Bowman. But like I said, I only saw one time where he kind of went through his progressions and he looked good doing it. He had, you know, quick wide receiver screen, screen quick throw in the hitch. The beautiful fade ball, but okay hey, that's a one-on-one route. It was a probably the best throw of the day, along with Rangel's deep ball. But I just, I, I don't know how you can say he was clearly There's the no best way. guy because the offense just did better in general, and the run and the blocking was better. They threw in some ISO and some more counters with him. They ran the ball more in general. And you can say too, UCA might have been a little tired. I don't really like to throw that in there because they could have been tired at any point in the game when we were running turbo. But I just don't. I don't know If if Gunner starts against Arizona State, then it's then I think personally it's because he looked better this week in practice. Because there's no way I could say that he looked better than Rangel on the on that minimal number of pass attempts. I mean, Rangel had double, almost double more than him, and then Bowman had. 15 more than him. I
0: think that's a good, like, you know, and I don't know if you had anything else, but if you had to pick, do you think all three play? And if you did, who would you start?
1: I would probably start Rangel. And personally, I don't think, now I know that Gundy is probably going to play multiple guys, at least two, I would think, unless whoever he starts is just killing it. But I would probably go Rangel first. And I think you got to give him... Almost the full first half, maybe the entire first half. I think so, Whoever you put out there first, I feel like you have to give them more than what you gave them in this game.
0: Yeah, I mean, I felt like, too, the offense was starting to groove a little bit right when he got pulled out. and And that's the unfortunate thing is we just don't have a great sample size on him. Last year, you throw that tape in the trash. This year, you really don't have much more to go off of. So I still feel like we just haven't seen very much of him.
1: Yeah. Kate, I think I'm done on the offense. I know we went really long. We're gonna we're still hey, we're getting back into the swing of things. We're gonna have to figure out how to get through that quicker. It's mainly my fault, but we can move to defense if you're ready. Yeah, let's go ahead. This is going to be not just because we're running long already, but this is going to be shorter because of what I said earlier. Okay, 26 guys played. They ran three down base almost the entire game and UCA didn't show that many different formations. So literally Oklahoma state showed not counting, let's just say in their base, they kind of moved maybe two, three things around like pressing the DBs, moving Kendall Daniels a little bit, and then bringing Benson up on the edge as a edge, stand up edge defender. And then they did it with Oliver once other than that. They almost lined up the exact same way every single snap.
0: Which makes it really difficult to do what we just did with the offense, which played three quarterbacks. They did different things throughout the game. It's much more simple on the defensive side of the football. I thought the defense was pretty good. They did some things that weren't great, but I left that game feeling pretty encouraged about the
1: direction of that unit. And my my thing with it, Caden, I agree with you, is... I, it was almost like they purposely weren't adjusting to the two things that were hurting them. So I <laughs> it put it that way. Yeah. I put out on the Twitter thread that of the 24 completions for Will McElvain, UCA's quarterback, 15 of them were either to the slot receiver, a running back, or their tight end, but he's truly their fullback, that tight end that they put out there, number 47, Austin Eldridge. 15 of the 24. And aside from the one long pass to Jared Barnes, number one for them, I think it was like 46 yards or something. That's that. If you take away that pass, it was literally almost 80% of their yards came from the slot or the backfield. Wow. And Oklahoma state just did not adjust to it. What was happening is whether it be field or boundary where the slot was, if it was to the field, Benson was the overhang player there. So in between, the end of the offensive line, and the slot receiver. And then Trey Rucker, who's the field safety, was lined up 10, 11 yards off the slot. So what McIlvain would do is they were RPO plays, but he actually wasn't even really reading anything. I mean, I guess kind of reading Benson to make sure he doesn't run back to that curl flat hole. He was just throwing it in there as kind of like an extended slant route, like a glance route, zone glance, RPO throwing it in there, and he wasn't even doing the mesh. He was basically just kind of barely faking the ball, pulling it back and throwing it. I think PFF has it as eight targets at Rucker. Wow. It may have been more than that, and then a couple at Rawls, too, because they did the boundary a couple times as well. Lear Crawls, the boundary safety, and only one time did Benson get in the passing lane, and I think that's truly an alignment issue, and Oklahoma State did not want to move out of their base. They didn't want to bring Rucker down onto the slot and press unless it was Red Zone. They didn't want to give anything away and they just basically let them have that. And that's what led to the running back as well because if the running back's leaking out there, the only guy even anywhere near him would be Benson. And then the next guy, because the cornerbacks are looking at you know number one receiver is Rucker or Rawls, who are sometimes 10, 11 yards off the ball, and they never adjusted.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's a great breakdown. And I know that there were a lot of people ready to pull their hair out every time, you know, it's every other play. It felt like they were going back into that flat. So Dustin, fantastic breakdown in that regard. I, you know, I love the idea that it's just an alignment issue. That's a great encouraging thing, right?
1: Yeah. And uh, Rucker does need to be more aggressive and so does Rawls. We can get to that when we get to the DBs, but that was just one of the main scheme things I wanted to talk about besides, you know, Oliver and Benson moving up on the edge. They did no two four down with another defensive tackle in the field, which we've heard that they do or will do. They changed the defensive alignment from like a heavy five, where the defensive ends are outside the tackle, outside shoulder, and then the nose guards in that zero to a tight, where they're inside shoulder of the offensive tackle and the nose guards right in front of the center in a zero. Daniels moved around a little bit. But other than that, it was a lot of man coverage, even some cover zero when they would blitz man free with no safety. Daniels was in that kind of free safety robber cover one role a lot, where he's kind of in that zone, whether that was in the low hole or deep. They mixed in some zone, but not a ton. That's kind of all I have on Skeet and Kate. I think we yeah, can wow. move into the defensive line if you're ready. Yeah, I'd love to. I thought they played good. Nathan with two was an absolute monster i thought walterscheid looked good he obviously doesn't have the athleticism of latou so he can create the push but he can't always make the play but he can set the edge create the push i liked Goodlow when he was out there before he got hurt he had a couple really good plays xavier ross comes in and just makes a big play gives you that energy has a big celebration after deshaun brown looked a little lost at times but overall i thought he was good i Really, kind of the the diamond of the defensive end group, I think, was Latou.
0: Yeah, 100%. He looked much improved, and I thought he would be, but not even to that level. I thought that he was kind of a crazy person in a really good way. Extremely physical. Looks like he's changed his body even a little bit. Like He's a legit rusher in in that spot. Like He's going to have a bunch of sacks.
1: Yeah, I thought he was awesome. And then at nose tackle... Clay and Kirkland exactly 50 50 split. So (laughs) that it was interesting to not see Oates or Kelly or anybody like that. But I thought it was awesome. I thought Clay was good enough. I I thought he was solid. I didn't think he was, you know, the fact that you didn't notice him negatively is always good for a nose tackle because a lot of times they're just getting the push. And then Kirkland. Was not only I mean I thought he was solid, but then you all, you also see him pop. Which if you see a nose tackle pop, you know they played well. He had the uh, swat. Yeah, that was the other time they slot they stopped the slot throw when Kirkland swatted it, so that helped uh, Rucker and Benson out there. He got pushed. He took on double teams. They started having to double team him. Yep. Pretty much, there was a couple snaps, a few snaps where I thought he looked a little tired. Didn't blow off the ball, but that's. Obviously going to be expected. It was super hot. He's a humongous dude playing 50% of the snaps. And we thought he was going to maybe play 40 or less, but I thought he was awesome. And I thought he was almost as good as advertised. And I thought he looked dominant against an FCS team. What I was really encouraged by was after those snaps that he failed to come
0: off the ball hard it seemed as though he would catch his breath after that it's like not like taking a play off in a negative sense but he's a big dude like that's that's hard to go a hundred percent when you're just not in that level of shape but every time he came back and popped somebody and that swap play was I think what we have been talking about where he's taking on a double team and gets his hand up there and he's basically pushed everybody back three yards so you know the nose tackle too it's like It is difficult unless they are getting sacks or stopping on a third and one. It's difficult for that level of contribution to show up like in the stadium, in the moment. If you think about Siaki Ika for Baylor, it was because he was blowing dudes off the line of scrimmage on fourth and one at the goal line. That's the reason you remember him. So Justin Kirkland, you know, between the 20s, I thought did a really good job
1: yeah i agree and you know the, not a lot of movement up there like i said a little bit of switching in alignment some slanting stuff like that so not a ton to take away but i love the defensive line rotation i love that they kept these guys fresh but again it was it was mainly just base linebackers wise i thought they looked a little tentative at times and then ultra aggressive almost too aggressive at times missing some tackles you know the Kylan James had a 25 yard run, which was basically all of his rushing yards on three carries and Martin and Oliver were in the backfield and the entire defensive line blew the offensive line back. Everyone missed the tackle. And then, you know, five, six of your defenders are behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. (laughs) So he breaks off for a 25 yard run. You got to clean up the tackling. I really liked what I saw from Nick Martin. You know, you mentioned to me, undersized guy. He's extremely aggressive, Yes, super athletic. I thought he was probably one of the best at kind of reading and reacting and taking on these blocks and knowing that he may be a smaller than these linemen, but he can get around them. If he just attacks them. I thought Benson was putting a tough spot on a lot of those throws. Like what I said, but he's in that spot that you kind of wanted him to be absolutely field overhang where he can play out there so I did like that and then Colin Oliver I think he's just getting his feet under him a little bit played more snaps than he's played in any game last season a higher percentage of snaps just thought he looked a little slow at times
0: yeah I I was not really impressed with Colin Oliver it's it's a new position for him I hope it's not indicative of his role in this defense. I don't think it is at all. They're going to have rush packages for him. I I don't think that that's the case at all, but I did want to go back to Nick Martin. What I said to you is he's undersized, but he plays like a crazy person in a good way. Like he's, he's ultra aggressive. It can be a little much at times. He can get himself in a bad situation if he does that against the wrong team. But I think he's got to be because he is noticeably undersized. Like Dustin, I know he's not the shortest guy on the field, but he, appears to be on the defense so you know it'll be interesting to see how he develops and how he adapts to the big 12 speed but I thought he was great and Xavier Benson the thing I'll say about him is he didn't get exploited in this game he didn't do anything poorly which is it's a good step in the right direction
1: yeah it was really just the tackling and the reaction for me on the linebackers also to note Cade you know Robert Allen and I think there were several news outlets saying that Colin Oliver's the Sam strong side linebacker. That may be what they call him, but Benson's to the field wide side, which isn't always the strong side, but he's in that kind of overhang spot, which is what I thought Oliver was going to be playing. And Oliver's kind of more your weak side will linebacker. So, who knows if they maybe even will move around as we get in Arizona mm. state and stuff like that. But I thought that was kind of interesting. And it, it's one of the reasons why I think Benson was the guy that they put as the edge in this game. Cause you're moving him down from that overhang spot. So maybe you see those guys switch around a little bit. That's I, a I really good like, point. I don't have any insight onto that, but it kind of threw me a little bit cause that's not really the Sam spot that Oliver mm. was playing uh, backups wise, man robertson he he was just kind of slow like yeah a little bit miss setting the edge on that third and 21 which didn't matter because they didn't get 21 yards but i I like i like him out there he's definitely super athletic he looks good on special teams a little slow right only nine snaps can't really critique him hope he gets back i I, you know he almost had the pick fumble thing that looked kind of cool and then i like donnie stevens energy he's definitely learning while he's out there but he's energetic.
0: Yeah, he looks exactly like Kevin Henry, if you remember him, uh, who also wore number 33. I liked him a lot.
1: Uh, DBs. I thought, you know, UCL and completed, like, what, one pass 20 yards down the field, I think I had? That works. So, Corey Black plays your left cornerback spot. He had one where there was a switch release for UCA that he let a guy run open. But other than that, I thought he, you know, he gave up a couple passes, but I thought he was in decent coverage. You got to clean up the tackling everywhere. But I thought Black looked good. He made a couple really good plays. Again, Cam Smith, we don't know why he only played eight snaps, but DJ McKinney, you alluded to it at the beginning of the podcast. He's what you need in that cornerback spot. He's a really good tackler. He probably was the best tackler on the day. He looked really good in man situations. I thought overall, he's not a step down from Smith at
0: all. I totally agree. It's one thing I wanted to talk about was now with him. I think you've got three and one kind of, you hope that that's a, that's a good situation with kale Smith, because I think Kenneth Harris, he got burnt out there. And I I think that he he got
1: burned at the practice. I was, (laughs) I was
0: going to say, I think, I think that this is going to be a, a thing with him. So, I think that you have three that you feel really good about. And Kale Smith, with some game reps underneath his belt, you should feel really good with those four. Um, But to me, I thought DJ McKinney was the defensive guy I was most excited about after the game on Saturday for the reason you just listed. I think he is very clearly able to go. I think, I'm not saying he's better than Corey Black, but it's not much of a drop-off even from him, I don't think.
1: Yeah, Adam, Wright, or Adam Lunt right on that call out from a long time ago, yeah. DJ McKinney. Cade, Kale Smith, love him. One thing about him, and I, I know weight-wise, he's not that much different than McKinney, but he's a little bit shorter, and he's, I think, one of the lighter cornerbacks on the team, which is fine, but he comes out there, and they throw a wide receiver screen, and he just gets completely taken out of the play by the wide receiver. Yeah, That yeah. was blocking. He's He's, he's, a, he's a small guy, man. He's small, so that's tough. Safeties wise, I thought Rucker obviously struggled, but I don't yep. think it was all his fault. But he made a couple plays. You know, he had a couple pass breaks ups. I don't know about that pass interference. That was a that was a tough call. I I guess you gotta call it. But if the guy falls down, he kind of touches him. I, I didn't hate that though. I didn't watch the replay multiple times, so maybe it was worse than I initially thought. But I thought Rucker struggled. I thought Rawls was okay. He's just not very aggressive. Yep. And then Daniels, I know he, yeah, I know he picked up the fumble, but he looked like he was a guy playing a brand new position, which he is. But he just looked kind of not ready to fully attack, definitely trust timid. himself, and make a decision.
0: I'm I'm glad that's your take. It's the way I felt about him that it was a timid. Kendall Daniels out there. Granted, he had the fumble recovery, but you know it's it is a different position, and the way that they line him up is very interesting. You had a screenshot of him; he's almost like linebacker North in
1: some alignments. Like, yeah, he's, he's not like in the low hole. Yeah, he's like not. Really inverted, like Tampa two or something. Safety, like yeah, he's but it's there.
0: It's a very strange alignment. I could see that being difficult for him to adjust to, especially when you're practicing against a a scheme that's not what you're going to see in the game. So this, this, I think, going up against a guy like Jaden Rashada this weekend, I think we'll see a more comfortable Kendall Daniels.
1: Yeah, I agree. Kate, I know we did the defense quick, but like I said, I'm, I'm not trying to move through this quick. I think if we spent a lot of time on the defense, it would be a disservice to our listeners because there is not much you can take away.
0: They were, I, I left that feeling like they were better than they had been at any point last year and and, yeah, and they weren't great but i felt that
1: it was the most vanilla defense i've ever seen from a college football team
0: <laughs> that's high praise and coming they still you.
1: looked and they still look good so uh special teams just real quick quick alex hale he's back loved it Looks loved great. everything i saw logan ward had i think everyone except like one kickoff was solid out of the end zone west paul booms the ball he's also like nine feet tall and then hudson Cax, uh or cox um like coffin corner which punt placement punts were solid field goal blocks obviously great and then want to give a shout out i won't do this every game but i just noticed this parker robertson two tackles on special teams looked like an absolute animal the wedge breaker walk on safety going down the field, so I wanted to give Parker Robertson a shout There
0: you out. go. He'll, he'll probably be special teams player of the week on a social media graphic here pretty soon.
1: <laughs> okay, I, I think those are my takeaways from the game. Do you have anything additional before we do a quick Arizona State preview? No. The
0: last thing I'll say is that you and I were bold in our score predictions, but I don't think we were so far off with how Oklahoma State looked. They were not very many plays away from it being 38 to 13 and being really kind of close to where you and I thought we would be. So ultimately the game went similarly to how I expected. I would have just liked to see a little more fireworks and I think they come.
1: Yeah. And just mit- some of those mistakes, you know, the Cole Birmingham, unnecessary roughness, which probably shouldn't have been called. That is a bad Interception when you could have easily gotten a field goal, which Cole uh-huh. Birmingham's one when Stewart probably put you in field goal range there. The uh, low snap on the third down, the ollie play. Multiple chances to take big leads in this game. And I know UCA had the plays called back early. That could have been a touchdown. But I think Oklahoma State had a bunch of missed opportunities as well. So I think that's a great call-out from you. I think, yeah, the only things I was like, or that I truly was way, 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 way wrong on, I'm wrong on a lot of stuff, but Gundy actually playing three QBs. (laughs) And I thought they were going to run the ball with the running backs more.
0: I did too. I did too. Yeah. I'm excited to see it because I think once they do it, it's going to work well.
1: Yeah. Well, let's take a quick ad break. I'd like to tell you guys about one of our sponsors, Wild Oak Lighting. Wild Oak Lighting is your authorized jellyfish dealer for the greater Oklahoma City area, Stillwater, and several other Oklahoma markets. Jellyfish Lighting is a permanent but discreet color-changing LED lighting system for the exterior of your home. With 16 million different colors and patterns, jellyfish lighting can be used for Christmas, holiday, and accent lighting. And of course, Oklahoma State game day lighting. You can learn more about jellyfish lighting by checking out the website, wildoak-lighting.com, or you can follow them on Facebook and on Instagram at wildoak-lighting. Cade, I know I talked about this on the last podcast, but I had the jellyfish lighting installed at my house. I love it. The team's super easy to work with. The installation process was quick and easy. They'll answer all of your questions or they'll leave you alone if you want to be left alone. Not only do I not have to worry about falling off my roof for Christmas lights and getting yelled at to take them back down by my wife, but I can let the neighborhood know when I'm cheering on the pokes on game day with some nice orange lighting. I would recommend these to anybody to light up their home for any occasion and along with wild oak lighting we're going to hear from one more sponsor
0: we want to say a quick thank you to sponsor the feels like 45 podcast classic overland classic overland specializes in restoring original land rover defenders Designed with your unique style and specifications. They go to great lengths to find quality vintage defenders before they begin the restoration process, and their team of experts will guide you through the various exterior and interior options to create the perfect build. Our friends Luke Reed and Robert Dennis of Classic Overland are both Oklahoma State graduates and will work with you through the process to ensure you have a great experience and in addition if you purchase a classic overland defender and mention this podcast the feels like 45 podcast their team will donate a portion of the proceeds to the pokes with a purpose nil collective to learn more you can visit their website classicoverland.com and you can contact luke and robert at robert at classicoverland.com thank you go pokes Well, it's a great chance for us to move into Arizona state who is coming into this game after a wild first one for them. That was featuring a literal sandstorm. and We're not talking the, the, the house song, literally a sandstorm in the middle of their game that forced a two hour delay, a game that they nearly lost to Southern Utah. You know, the talk around Arizona state this off is, you know, their quarterback situation. They've got two, one in Jaden Rashada, who is a household name because of his failed NIL deal at $13 million. And the other one in Drew Pine, who was playing quarterback at Notre Dame last year. Drew Pine's injured. So Jaden Rashada ultimately is the starter. And Dustin, I don't feel any differently about Arizona State after one game than I felt before one game. I think that Oklahoma State should come into this and be the better team. But Jaden Rashada is good enough to beat you.
1: Yeah, and it, Kate, it's it's a weird team. It's kind of like Oklahoma State with a lot of their changes in new players. You can't really look at anything from last year. You kind of have to look at Kenny Dillingham's Oregon team. You can look at their defensive coordinators, Washington State team. You can look at their offensive coordinator, Bo Baldwin's Cal Poly teams. But the only game from Arizona State that you have is their 24-21 victory over Southern Utah that you talked about, where in the first half, they looked like, you know a team that had new players but was playing okay they were up by a, a few scores probably could have been more in the second half they after the long delay they looked terrible and all there were times where they could have lost that game they had a punt blocked for a touchdown it was tough but i like Kenny Dillingham 33 years old. He's actually younger than me, which was weird to see when I was looking this up. <laughs> He's an Arizona State alum. He's the youngest head coach of a Power Five team. He's been all over the place. He was an offensive analyst for Todd Graham at Arizona State. He's an offensive coordinator at Memphis, Auburn, FSU, and then in Oregon last year. He's a Mike Norvell, Gus Malzahn coaching tree guy, and a guy that really is only truly called, play, called plays, which he said himself last year at Oregon because he's been with Norvell, been with Malzon and those are the guys who have been kind of calling the plays when he's been on those teams but he's an offensive minded guy in this Arizona State team kind of I think is trying to take on his energetic football guy mentality yeah it seems like it he's a I don't think he's a loud mouth
0: but I feel he's an like
1: Arizona State grad that's that's what yeah. he is he's an Arizona State grad
0: and we all know him and we all love him, but he yeah. is a little bit Even of Even just from the way he wears bro. his hat. He's a bro. Like, I'll just he call it how I see it.
1: He is a bro. They're imposing a self, uh, self-imposing, self a one-year ban due to the recruiting violations during COVID that happened with Herm Edwards. Uh, they've been trying to get, you know, the fans engaged. Their spring game, they had Will Compton and Taylor lawan from the Bustin' with the Boys podcast to guest coach, Kenny Dillingham ripped the fans for not coming to the game. Still, he's been, you know, all over the with the media trying to get fans to come to the game this Saturday against Arizona State. So it's been it's been pretty interesting. But 25 new players from the transfer portal, a record 43 new players. I think that's like the most or second most in the NCAA. And they're a team that, you know, Athlon hasn't projected at four wins. USA Today, three wins. College football news, five wins, and mm-hmm. Vegas over-unders at four and a half wins so Oklahoma State beat them last year 34-17 in Stillwater and this is just a team that's on a complete rebuild Caden you talked about Jalen Rashada having to start I don't think Pine will play I do think whenever he's healthy again they might put him out there and I think he was supposed to be their starter but yeah this this team overall is pretty good gross <laughs> from the one game that I watched, it, it, I, and they've got some talent. I'm not saying like oh they're worse than Central Arkansas or anything, but it's definitely a work in progress over there. And that's kind of our general take, Cade. Unless yeah. you have anything else, and we can kind of hop into the offense and talk about some players in the scheme.
0: Yeah, I I don't have anything else to
1: add. All right, so these stats are from last year, but 46th in passing offense, 89th in rushing offense, 47th in yards per play. 71st in sacks allowed, and 57th in points per drive. In the Southern Utah game, they only played 20 guys on offense. You'd think you'd play more against an FCS team, kind of like what I was talking about with Oklahoma State. 371 yards on 65 plays, 11 drives, 24 points, 2.18 points per drive. That's not very good. 414 on third down, 0-4 on third and 9-plus. Southern Utah had one sack. Jalen Rashada had five passes of 15-plus yards, and they also had five rushes of 10 or more yards. Nine penalties for 100 yards. If they do that against Oklahoma State, they will lose the game. Rushing, they had four yards per carry on 135 total yards, and Jalen Rashada had 236 total yards passing. Cade, what were kind of your general thoughts on that game?
0: I, Offensively.
1: yeah, I
0: think that they have the skill talent you would expect. It's fine, not overwhelming. They're pretty bad. They're really bad on the offensive line. They got pushed around by Southern Utah multiple times. And I thought Jaden Rashada looked like a five star true freshman quarterback. I thought he made two very impressive deep throws which is what he was advertised as he's you know he's raw going through his progressions it doesn't even really seem like there is much progressing it just if the, if he's there he's throwing it and if he's not there he's still going to throw it so i think that Oklahoma State's secondary especially with this being a year going into the 335 i'm not sure that Rashada is going to be comfortable at all with that and i don't think it really lends itself either to him being able to do what makes himself, you know, kind of different, which is his touch on the deep ball. So I just, I feel like it's a poor setup for them going into this game. I think they're going to get it turned around though. I do like that. I like their skill talent. I think Rashad is the real deal, but I think he's just young. I don't think he has the tools yet.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to normally for teams, we'll go over their key losses, key additions from the prior year, but, I'll just mention a few because it's so many, but they the lost the portal nowadays, golly, center, right guard, left guard. <laughs> they lost Xavier Z- Valade, who you and I really like. They lost their quarterback, Emory Jones. They lost running back. They've lost both their running backs, Daniel Nada. You know, they got Drew Pine. They got Cameron Scadaboo, the running back from Sacramento state. They gained multiple offensive linemen, Lee Fontenot, Aaron Frost. They got wide receiver Trey O'Mary from Texas. They got wide receiver Xavier Guillory from Idaho State, someone that you and I really liked. But offensive coordinator Bo Baldwin is coming from being the head coach at Cal Poly the last three years. He's calling the plays. Uh, Dillingham said as much. He said it in an athletic article. He said it multiple times to the media. This is a guy that's won five Big Sky titles and earned five playoff berths as a head coach at Eastern Washington, and he was also the OC at Cal. What it looked like in that Southern Utah game to me is that they're kind of, I watched a couple of Cal Poly games and it's reminded me of that Mike Norvell offense with some Gus Malzahn mixed in. So I think they're kind of just blending the styles together. It's a smash mouth spread, RPO spread, pro style spread, whatever you want to call it. I know Kenny Dillingham likes to call it a pro style offense that plays fast. They go heavy 11 P with some empty mixed in. And they'll also do a lot of 12 personnel with two tight ends out there. He'll go to three, four receiver, but no two back sex sets against Southern Utah, but they've done that before heavy dose of the power run game. They did a lot in the Southern Utah game of CY or CH counter with the center and tight end. I'm not sure if they're going to do that against Oklahoma state playing a zero tech, head up the center nose guard like Justin Kirkland, but they run down G and G lead, which is the play side guard pulling something that Oklahoma state does out of their 23 personnel look last season. That Southern Utah game, they were about 60, 70% gap and only about 30, 40% zone mixing in some inside and split zone in the passing game. You mentioned it downfield passing a lot of legal rub rub concepts, play action to pull down the safeties and then Jalen Rashada doing what he does best on those deep throws. I didn't see a lot of RPO in this game. It was more it looked like true play action and a lot of straight dropbacks and 14 combined targets for running backs and tight ends. So most passes were less than 10 yards down the field, but they were doing some kind of deep scissors, mesh action on some of those deep balls. So I would look for them to do some stuff we haven't seen in this game, but I definitely think run game-wise, you'll see a lot of the gap scheme in the passing game. Rashad is going to try to get the deep ball going because Kenny Dillingham talked about it in his presser this week. He doesn't have any film to watch on Oklahoma State's defense because they were so vanilla last week. He said those words. So he went back and watched Nardo at Gannon, but it's hard. You know, you're watching a D3 athletes out there in this defense compared to oklahoma state's power five athletes so might have been a good plan from oklahoma state because kenny dillingham sounded very annoyed by that i was gonna say
0: my word wasn't annoyed it seemed like he was a little bit spooked and unnerved by and maybe annoyed is a good word but all of that just about the lack of film that he has of what nardo does at oklahoma state so I, i don't envy dillingham but it's probably why Oklahoma State took a very vanilla approach, as you've already mentioned.
1: Yeah, the offensive line, Cade, uh, they struggled some against Southern Utah. I, I, Glass and Bowl on the outsides at left and right tackle weren't great. Joey Ramos on the inside is pretty good. Receiver wise, I like Guillory. I like Geo Sanders and Melquan Slowball in the stop in the slot. I like Elijah ba- Badger. They still have Andre Johnson. I mentioned Troy O'Meary. I, the, these are guys you have to pay attention to because I think it's the strength of their offense is these wide receivers. Jalen Conyers, their tight end, also looked really good against Southern Utah, but left with an injury. Dillingham said he'll be back. And then the running backs, Cameron Scadaboo and DeCarlos Brooks. Brooks, they used a lot in the passing game. Scataboo's kind of their thick, short running back that's very, very agile, moves well, has got some wiggle. And then, I, like I said, I liked Brooks as well. Rashada Dillingham talked about it. He he's not going to have all the answers because he didn't have any film to watch. He just got to have enough. And I think Brian Nardo is about to put his brain in a pretzel.
0: Yeah. That's kind of what I mentioned. I mean, the, the idea that he's going to go from what he saw against Southern Utah to a power five, three, three, five with elite athletes in the secondary and do well against that. And especially, you know, even considering if they're going to do these legal rub routes, putting your linebacker attempting to put Oklahoma State's really athletic, maybe undersized linebackers in conflict, I do think that that's a a plus to Oklahoma State, who's built to work that way. And the whole point of a three three five, Dustin, is that you don't bend really. And you don't break like y- you have to take what the defense gives you. Otherwise you will turn the ball over. And I just feel like with a young quarterback like this, it's coming like it's, it's going to happen. The, the, multiple picks are coming. I feel like.
1: Yeah, I agree. So last note, only returning five starters on offense and Kate, I, I think that's really all I have for them. Cause again, there's not much film, brand yeah. new coaching staff, brand new players.
0: I like Jalen Conyers a lot. I'll say that. You, yeah, we went we went right past him, but I was hoping he was
1: gonna still. be I know bad. I mentioned he got hurt in the game, but Dillingham said he will be back. So, yeah. Uh, on defense, this defense was really bad last year. Seventy eighth in passing defense, hundred and sixth in rushing, hundred and seventh in defensive yards per play, hundred twentieth in sacks, hundred twenty fifth in defensive points per drive. They didn't force many turnovers. They played 21 guys in the Southern Utah game. They lost guys like Nesta Jade Silvera, a guy that we really liked Merlin Robinson, Corey Bethley. They added Prince Dorba from OU and UT. They added Xavier and Alford from USC Shamari Simmons from Austin P Demetrius Ford from Austin P. Both those guys have been playing a lot. Clayton Smith from OU and Deshaun Mallory from Michigan state who all play a lot. They only return three starters, Cade. On their defense, and they're all in the defensive backfield. Their defensive coordinator, Brian Ward, was at Washington State last year. He's at Nevada and Syracuse. Ran a lot of last year, Arizona State ran a lot of high cover two. This year, in that first game, they were in a lot of man and cover one with pressing up the corners. Ward's defense is pretty much a 4 2 5. That's what he was running at um, Washington State. That's what it looked like he was running in Southern Utah. They'll do some sim pressure actual pressure they'll do some cover one blitzing didn't get a ton of sacks at for arizona state last year didn't get i don't think he had a ton of sacks at washington state either but it's what he's trying to do but in the southern utah game Cade, they got bullied against the run southern utah didn't have very many rushing yards total if you go look at the stats but there were plays where the defensive line got completely blown backwards off the ball
0: which was shocking to me i just felt like Arizona state on the defense would just have similar to Oklahoma state. The way I expected the defensive line to play for them, but they looked flat out awful multiple times. And especially down in the red zone where it's like, you would expect a power five school to, to be more physical. They, they are not. So I expect them to get up. I, I expect them to make a couple plays, but um, it's not a unit. I'm overly impressed by.
1: No, I like BJ green. I like Clayton Smith. I like Deshaun Mallory as pass rushers i don't like them against the run i think they're very talented they just were getting pushed around but those guys are guys to watch for sure up front linebackers wise trey brown very strange where's number 82 thought he was okay they lack a lot of depth here they basically have no experience here at all will Schaefer missed the he's a backup lineman for them he had to miss the first half due to a penalty from last year along with what? Elijah Badger yeah Badger <laughs> and Schaefer both missed the first half of the game for a suspension that happened from last year at, that's the, final the dumbest game.
0: thing I've ever heard
1: yeah Dylan that's Hamm targeting
0: he throw it out
1: he said he didn't know about it until like two weeks before the first game or something like that so that was pretty funny uh I liked Tate Romney though their weak side linebacker but they only have two guys out there so not a lot to glean from them Schaefer, Brown, and Romney are who you'll see out there a lot, along with Caleb McCullough. The defensive backfield, this was supposed to be their strength, Aid. But in that Southern Utah game, they missed tackles. They didn't look great in coverage. I, you know, Roe Torrance is a very, he's their most, probably their most experienced player on their defense. Him and Chris Edmonds, their strong safety. I thought they looked rusty, didn't look great. I, my I thought the best player for them was Shamari Simmons, the Austin P transfer at free safety and then jordan clark at nickel got burned multiple times and demetrius ford looked okay the other austin p transfer but okay just that southern utah second half i know they had the long delay but their defense i just thought they weren't very good
0: they weren't that great in the first half either they they had i mean
1: yeah Holding a team to seven, any team, you know, is impressive, but I agree with you. It wasn't like, it wasn't a dominant performance. Yeah,
0: they would, they would probably look at our tape and say the exact same thing, yeah. but there were really what I was looking to see was their ability to get off a block and multiple times in the red zone, they were not able to against Southern Utah. I, I think that they will have trouble against Oklahoma State if Oklahoma State gets these things short up.
1: <clears throat> I agree, Cade, I you know, again, I, I don't think we should overkill this preview because there's one game of film on yeah. that. So yeah, that was kind of my takeaways. Also, we we already went long <laughs> on the reviews. <laughs> so we'll try to share this up. Again, we're getting back into things, but Cade, I think I had the over under at fifty two and a half. Yeah. In the spread at three and a half what's your prediction gonna be for this game in Arizona State at 9 30 Central time 7 30 local time Saturday night which I'll be at yes our friend our friend of the pod Adam Lunt will be at friend of the pod Alex Fuller will be there so may see any of us please say hey we'll have a beer with you for sure I
0: got some airline points burning a hole in my pocket I'll get myself hey, out there uh do it yeah so yeah Dustin I I think the way I see this, I think Oklahoma State covers, but not like they win by 20. I think that they probably win 27 to 20. It's kind of the way I see it. So under and cover.
1: I'm going almost the same as you, but 31 20. So under and cover. I would as well. love that.
0: I would love to see this offense put up 31 points. On the road against a power five team. That would be a great performance in my
1: mind. I think we're gonna see a lot of gap runs. I think we're gonna see play action. I think we'll see some RPO. I think the defense will not look completely different, but I think you're gonna see a lot of stuff you didn't see like a lot. Yeah. Like it's going to look, it's going to be like, oh, this is Brian Nardo's defense after we watch this game. Whether that's good or bad, (laughs) (laughs) scheme-wise, it's gonna look way different. I just think it's going to look like a completely different team. And maybe I'm just, I'm probably just being overly optimistic, but that's kind of my take. I think, I think after this game, the film breakdown and the spreadsheet tables that I make will look drastically different from the central Arkansas game.
0: I love it. I hope so. I'm i am ready to see the real deal. Well, Dustin safe travels to you, my friend, tell Adam Fuller and anybody else that you run into who loves the podcast that I said, hello, if you're not already, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and threads at feels like 45 pod You can follow Dustin at DustRagoo, and you can follow me at CadeWebb. I realize we didn't get to any listener questions today. Please forgive us. It's the first game back. I think Dustin and I, both of our voices are shot. We're just going through the trenches for you. So don't thank us, but you can thank us if you want to. Dustin, we'll see you back here next week. Go Pokes.